Support for Boston Public Radio comes from Trinity Rep. Celebrating 60 years with August Wilson's Fences, a Pulitzer Prize-winning drama returning to Trinity Rep's stage for the first time in 30 years. March 21st through April 28th. Tickets at trinityrep.com. DCU is proud to sponsor this conversation from Boston Public Radio. More at dcu.org. Ahead on Boston Public Radio, today is the day voters across Boston are casting their ballots, if they haven't already, to determine which two candidates will face each other in November and ultimately become mayor. We'll start the show with GBH politics reporter Adam Riley to give us a lay of the land in Boston and surrounding communities with elections today, too. And throughout the show, we'll hear from all five candidates in the running, city councilors Michelle Wu, Anissa Asabi-George, John Barrows, Andrea Campbell, and acting mayor Kim Janey. In between, we'll take your calls, whether you're a Boston voter or not, on who should top the vote today. All that ahead on Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH. City of Boston, as you just heard in the news, Henry Santorum, the polls open at 7 o'clock, and we're going to have a very busy election day right here. We are. And by the way, for those who are worried, Marjorie was on jury duty yesterday. She engineered a quick guilty verdict so she could be back <laughs> for election day. That's right. Well done, Marjorie. Six to eight at Walpole, Jim. You had to get out of there and <laughs> you had to get, had to get back. In any case, today's mayoral preliminary will get us that much closer to finding out who will make history as the first person of color elected mayor of a city that is majority-minority, that would be Boston. It's a race that's getting national attention, but will enough Bostonians take advantage of being a part of this historic moment by turning out to vote? All five of the major candidates will call in to the show today. So if you want to hear their final pitch, I would stick around. Join us online first, though, for his take on which candidates may have an advantage, who could be the wild card, and the issues that are driving people to the polls is GBH's reporter Adam Riley. Adam Riley, of course, is co-host of the Scrum Politics podcast. Adam, thanks so much for calling in. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah. So, uh, Adam, as, as you well know, uh, polls have Michelle Wu in a, with a significant uh, lead going into this kind of a, a tight race for second among Janie Campbell and uh, Anissa Sabi-George. Anything changed? Expected any surprises or no? Or what do you think? Uh, I am not expecting anything to change with Michelle Wu. I was looking at the trend lines from the polls before getting on the phone with you guys, and she has been getting stronger and stronger. You go back to April, she was basically at the same place as Kim Janey. They were both just a little bit under 20%. And since then, Wu has seen her support just grow and grow and grow. Right now, it's in the low 30s. There's no one near her. I'd be shocked if she didn't make it into the final. The really interesting story is this battle for second place. And especially within that battle for second place, it looks like it's a real possibility that acting mayor Kim Janey might not make it through, which I think a lot of people, including myself, very much including myself, would have told you was impossible when she became acting mayor earlier this spring. I think a lot of us thought it was a lock and clearly it isn't. 
You know, uh, Marjorie and I have been repeating the same mantra that virtually everybody has. We believe it, too, which is the quality of the fivesome is really extraordinary. I mean, regardless of who people are submit, yep. uh, supporting out there. It's really, but then the flip side is I read the Globe story where Bill Galvin, Secretary of State, is predicting turnout will be, I don't know what adjective he used, decent or something, but likely below 2013 when Marty Walsh was first elected. Are you surprised? I mean, assuming he knows what he's talking about, and he's, his predictions are usually pretty accurate, can you explain why there's not more interest in a race like this with this level of quality of five candidates, Adam Riley? Honestly, Jim, I am still struggling with that question myself. I would have assumed that the level of interest would be higher, both because of the quality of the candidates, but also because it already is a historic race. Boston's going to get its first mayor of color. It's going to happen. And, uh, you know, the usual caveats apply here. I'm someone who's fascinated by this, but I live in the suburbs. So I'll put that caveat out there. I don't understand why more Boston residents aren't more excited about this. And there was a Globe story, I think it was on Monday, a Megan Irons story, where she was talking to undecided voters, and she found a guy who thought Marty Walsh was still mayor and you know, was confused about where all the Marty Walsh signs you know, were that should be out there. There was another guy who said, ah, I'm not going to be able to get to vote. As, you know, I got work. It's too hard to get up early. Yeah, too and hard to get I, up I, early. I saw that. Can't get up that early. I don't early. understand it. I just don't get it. It's, I, I am, I'm confused by it. I mean, I think that you know, some, of the, some of the explanations that you'll hear when you talk to people like Larry DeCara, the old city councilor and mayoral candidate, is that right now there's a ton of people who live in Boston who aren't from the city, who aren't heavily invested in local politics. Uh, and that's pretty clearly true. You know, I think we'd be looking at a really different turnout, obviously, if, if an election was held uh, the same year as a presidential election or a gubernatorial election. That would pull a lot of people there. But I don't I don't understand still why people need to be pulled, because the mayor of Boston has such great power to directly affect the lives of Boston residents. If I lived in the city limits, I can't imagine not getting the polls for this. You know, Although, I, can I throw in one oh, more sure. thing now that I'm, I'm you know, monologuing? <laughs> I, I was reminded as I listened to myself of a point that Steve Cazella, the pollster, the pollster from Massa, from Massa, yeah, we did this live Zoom about the the prelim last night. I heard great. The, the by the way, I've over. heard great things about it. By the way, I meant to tell you, I'm embarrassed. You I missed it. Was, it. it was we got great really, feedback about it. Thank you. No, it was. It was. People had great points to make, and I'll be sending out a link to it because it's it. It all holds until the end of the day today. Great. But he pointed out that um, people are sometimes uh, cowed. I think Aaron O'Brien from UMass Boston made this point too. Sometimes when there's too many good candidates it can actually depress turnout. People can say, look at all these great people. I don't know who I should be casting a vote for. And as a result, they stay home. So it's not necessarily apathy. It can also you be- You know what, by, by the way, there's a term, there's a legal term for those people. Do you know what they're called? I don't. Dopes. That's what they're <laughs> called. You have five quality candidates and you can't make up your mind. It's too I, difficult. So you sit David. it out. I mean, really? We're talking to Adam uh, Adam Riley. Well, you know, it, um, Jim mentioned at the top of the show, I was on jury duty yesterday, uh, Adam, and the judge came out over at the district court, uh, the superior court there in, in uh, Denham. And, and he said, you know, there's only two things that really the, the United States asked you to do. Uh, it one is to show up every three years when you're asked to be in a jury. The other one is to vote. And I think it's somehow depressing that even if you are if, uh, somebody who is passing through, you can't 
take the time to get out and vote. I just I just find yeah. it kind of depressing. But anyway, yeah, I'm you know, with you. You know, um, one of the one of the interesting dynamics here. We talked about how this is a very qualified field. The city council has gotten more qualified now. We have a lot of city councilors running for mayor, and we also have people that kind of lived the through the crises they're dealing with, as in homelessness, as in poverty, as in uh, depending on government's help. You know, with uh, uh, Campbell, uh, she and her brother, and foster care, and all that kind of stuff. So these are unusual candidates in the sense that they really know what they're talking about in terms of these uh, different difficulties of poverty and racism and stuff. But there's also a lot of talk about how uh, Janie and Campbell, who are both African-American women, and and Campbell's been been tough on Janie, uh, um, that they're going to just divide the the, the black vote and will wind up with... uh, uh, Wu, a Taiwanese American, and Asabi George, you know, the daughter of a Tunisian uh, uh, one parent and a Polish other parent. In other words, no African American candidates in the in the final yeah. election. Yeah, it looks like there's a very real chance that, that could happen. And I know that you know, as you guys know, and many of our listeners know, there there were efforts made in the black community to keep that from happening. Diane Wilkerson, the former state senator. Uh, led one of these efforts called Wakanda 2. And the goal was, let's finally get a black mayor. Let's keep a split from occurring. Obviously, that hasn't happened. I, I think that, and and I, I'm sensitive saying this because you know, I'm a white man, but I think that there there is an assumption behind that way of thinking, which is, well, if if you fit a certain demographic category, then you should have the same priorities when it comes to policy. And I think, among other things, the fact that we're seeing that split in the electorate is a reminder that that's not necessarily the case. You might have a sense of how someone's going to vote, given uh, what demographic boxes they tick, and they might be interested in uh, issues that that are related to their background, but they're not necessarily, you can't necessarily say someone um, it belongs to this category, and therefore they're going to vote a certain way. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing. Having said that, I, I shudder to think what the national take is going to be if Kim Janey yeah. doesn't make the final. I am really bracing myself for that. It was such big news nationally when she became the first black woman to run the city at length. And I think a lot of people might offer interpretations if she doesn't make in the final that are less than generous. We're talking to Adam Riley. Adam, is this an issue-driven race? I know when a pollster asks people to rate what they care most about, obviously everybody gives an answer. Affordable housing is way up there. Climate change is way up there. Uh, And what was interesting in terms of issues, well, it's not really an issue, but a human who, as James Pindle wrote in The Globe today, has not been part of this race. Sort of Marty Walsh is odd. I don't mean an endorsement, but rather... Was he good? Was he bad? I'm in. I'm in his uh, image. I'm not in his image. Are there issues that are driving voters, or is it mostly about personality, identity, and connection to a particular candidate? Uh, my theory, and I can't give you a definitive answer because I haven't pulled that question. But my take is that it's a you know, as you might expect, a bit of both. You look at Wu's rise. I think Wu, you can say, is the candidate who across the board. Um, I shouldn't say across the board because Campbell's uh, been the one who's driven talk about police reform. But Wu is very big on, as her former mentor Elizabeth Warren likes to say, big systemic change, completely rethinking the way key systems involving government are are 
conceptualized and executed. Uh, affordable housing, you know, she's the one who's been the staunchest supporter of rent control, even though she was not always a supporter of rent control. And I think people like that about her candidacy. But biography has played such a, a key role. Yeah. You know, Andrea Campbell, in addition to being a prime mover behind police reform, has this incredibly compelling life story about the divergent past that her life and her twin brother Andre's life uh, took going back to childhood. And I think that, you know, people like her stance on police reform and they like those references to biography. As for Walsh, it's worth reminding people that Anissa Asabi George is the one who has cast herself as, I don't want to say the status quo candidate because she thinks things need to be changed Mm -hmm. in the city, but she's the one who's promising basically more of Walsh's approach. She's the one who has the very public endorsement from Marty Walsh's mob. So if you're looking at whether this race is in part a referendum on Marty Walsh's tenure, I think her rise, and she's risen steadily along with uh, Campbell, as Janie has kind of, uh, you know, held steady or even dropped a little bit. Um, I think Anissa Saibi George's rise is a reminder that, while there are a lot of these candidates who say Boston needs a whole slew of big changes, you know, there are voters out there who think things are pretty good in the city yeah. and would like to see more of the same. Well, you know, when Marty Walsh beat John Conley back in 2013, the conventional wisdom was that he it was big union support that put him over the top. Marty Walsh used to be the president of the Building Trades Union or whatever it's called. I mean, building I have the right yeah. name. And thank that you, is. Building Trades. Uh, the, when we had the debate here, it was unbelievable. It was like a sea, thousands of people. I remember uh, that. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So um, where is the union breakdown? I know that Asabi George has done well with the cop union, firefighters, uh, uh, EMS. Uh, where is, is there, are there other significant union endorsements that we should know about? Boy, Kim Janey, I know, has gotten some significant um, public service union support. I think that there have been endorsements that have gone to other candidates. But if I try to confirm that right now, you're going to hear me Googling okay. as we speak. I think of it as being primarily, but not exclusively, uh you know, uh, a lot of people, public safety going to Anissa Sabi George and the others, some going to Janie, some going elsewhere. So I, I don't know that you can, I don't think that one candidate has a claim to be the, uh, the candidate of labor the way that Walsh did last time around. Although it's worth mentioning too, I think another thing that put Walsh over the top was support from black voters and voters of color. And uh, again, in this race, you don't see one of them, uh, one of the candidates having a, a big claim to that constituency. Steve Cazella, the pollster from Massing, a point he made last night in our conversation was that if it had been white voters who elected the, the mayor of Boston, John Connolly would have been in, uh, in office, but he wasn't. You know, before you go, while your comments on the mayor's race are really of value to us, the most insightful thing you've said or written today was your tweet a little while ago saying, (laughs) shut up about the Met Gala. I could not (laughs) agree more. It was brilliant and insightful, and I am totally with you, Adam, Ron. I want you you to know. I've been trying to back off Twitter a little bit, but I was just feeling grumpy this morning. I felt like arguing with people. So I'm glad that we're on the same page there. Marjorie, do you stand with me and Jim when it well, comes to the you know, It's funny you mentioned we have oh, we have a couple Marjorie, of we have a couple of TV don't, sets don't. on here in the studio. One is CNN and one is NECN, <laughs> the local news station. And what have they been doing over the last fifteen minutes here on NECN? The, the Met Gala was some of the strangest outfits. You don't have to watch, yeah. do you? I have ever okay, seen. Okay, we're done. Adam, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for your analysis. We really appreciate it. So, Thank you, guys. Enjoy the day. Good luck. You Thank too. you. One person was in total disguise. See that person going up the no, stairs? I didn't. They, they, they no. had a headdress on. They had a mask okay, on. Fine. It wasn't just a COVID mask. Sorry I brought it up. Anyway, okay. you couldn't see who they were. So Adam Riley is a reporter here at GBH where he also hosts 
the Scrum Politics Podcast. And thanks a lot to Adam Riley for joining us. We really appreciate that. Now we're going to get your call and take on the race. Uh, do our own informal exit poll, as it were. Our number is 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Who's your candidate here in, in this race, whether you're a Boston voter, an ex-Boston voter, or a never-Boston voter? Who do you think could do the most for the city of Boston? BPRWGBH.org. You are listening to Boston Public Radio. Five major mayoral hopefuls. Acting Mayor Kim Janey, Michelle Wu, John Barrows, Anissa Asabi George, Andrea Campbell. We will narrow the field to two. Today, Boston decides which candidates and visions for the city will face off head to head in November. To me, an historic election. Stay here for all day coverage of Boston's preliminary election only on GBH 89.7 and online at gbhnews.org. Support for GBH comes from you and Mass Autobahn, where you can get outdoors and explore hundreds of trails at over 60 wildlife sanctuaries across the state, from the Cape to the Berkshires. You can start your adventure at massautobahn.org. And Knox Financial, offering an option to keep your home as an income property rather than sell it when you're ready to buy a new home. You can learn the income potential of your current home at Knox, K-N-O-X, income.com. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Mardrigan. We're continuing our coverage of today's Boston mayoral preliminary. We're hearing from all the major candidates today. We're taking your calls along the way. Join us on the line to make her final pitch to voters and is Boston City Councilor at Large, Anissa Sabi George. Councilor, welcome back to BPR. Good morning, Jim. I hope you're well. Marjorie, uh, with you? I, I, she's I, I, right um, there. Councilor, thank you very much for joining. You should be happy to know I was on the beach on Cape Cod over the weekend. What did I see but a bright pink Anissa Sapi George <laughs> <laughs> t-shirt, a Boston voter on the beaches of the Cape and for the weekend. And that just tells you none of my volunteers take vacations. That is right. Working. That is right. So, so Councilor, today's the big day. How are you spending your last day? I know you've been campaigning like Matt. What are you doing today? Well, I work like mad, I campaign like mad, and I'm spending election day traveling across the city, meeting our voters. I got my vote done early this morning, right when polls opened. I actually forgot to check if I was number one, but I expected I might have been. What did it feel like voting for yourself as mayor of Boston, Councillor? I, well, I, I, um, I was a little surprised. I felt like... Uh, going in, I expected to be a little bit more emotional about it, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of cameras, a lot of coverage, so I sort of got it done. And um, it was, you know, it was cool. I took a picture of it, so I think later on today I'll probably spend a moment reflecting and maybe feel a little bit more emotional. But it was, I, I did it quickly. I got my sticker. We had to get the kids to school, so we we then did that. You know, Councilor, do you have any lucky charms like the baseball players? You know, there was a certain outfit you wore when you went to vote or a certain thing you did uh, uh, when you went to vote for yourself when you run the city council uh, a race. Is you believe in any of that stuff? So, I, I mean, I, I have a few things that make me feel more settled. 
Um, I went to a couple of um, church services Sunday that I, you know, one in particular that I've gone to before every election, whether I've been on the ballot or not. Really? And, you know, I have, you know, my, I think you know that my dad passed away a number of years ago, so hasn't been able to be a part of any of my races. So I do have a a medal, um, a locket with his photo. This That's new this year. My sister got married a few weeks ago, so I made one for her, and I said, oh, I feel like I want one for myself. So I've got that with me, and then uh, a neighbor had a group of um, nuns praying for me, and they sent a beautiful medal. <laughs> so great. she gave that to me yesterday, so that's with me. You know, it's, it's wonderful when this can be part of something a little bit bigger than yourself. You know, when I think about the work of leading the city, when I think about being mayor of this city, it's, it's my name on the ballot, but it's really about the people around me. It's about the people of this city and the work that we need to do. We're talking to Councillor Anissa Sabi-George. What, what do you hope is the most important thing you got across to uh, today's uh, voters, Councillor? Um, well, we've got to cross the finish line first. And, um, you know, I hope the voters of the city of Boston, the residents of the city are engaged in today's election. I know that we're predicting and expecting low turnout. It's a preliminary and we know that these prelims, prelims and primaries are generally lower turnout. I want the people of Boston to feel that their voice matters because it does. I want them to be engaged in this process. I want them to, to know that their thoughts their opinions, the work that they think I should be doing as mayor is important. I hope they show up to the polls today. What's the most important endorsement, you think, that says the most? Well, let me put it another way, not the most important. You know What's that that's a silly question. The no. most important endorsement of the people of Boston. Okay, fine. I, okay, we got that that's out right, of the way. That's right, a silly question. What's the most Im- <laughs> what is the endorsement that you think so far, because we don't have the votes of the people yet uh, counted, says the most about your candidacy, your counselor? Um, you know, I'm really proud to have the Mass Nurses Association endorsement. They were the first, and they really, I think, speak to the crisis of healthcare, the crisis you know that we're experiencing with COVID and the pandemic, and the work that they do in that space as frontline workers. Very grateful to have Boston EMS and Boston mm-hmm. Fire their endorsement. I'm also, you know, we've got AFSCME 93, which represents so many of the city's workers. When I think about leading the city and representing the people of Boston, those that go out to do the work, uh, and those are our city employees, they're the face of the day-to-day efforts to serve our city. That endorsement's really important to me. But again, you know, I know it's, I was a little fresh there, but the people of Boston, that's the endorsement that I'm looking forward to. Uh, having today. We're talking to Councillor Anissa Asabi-George. Of course, she's running for mayor in the, in the preliminary races today. There must have been uh, some great moments in the campaign trail. Do you, got any, do you have any good stories for either uh, meeting with voters or anything else that happened on the campaign trail that you'll remember? Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had done a series of tough conversations and I met with an older gentleman, Tony, in Mattapan Square, and he was just talking about how important it was for him to actually have a conversation with me. He, had, he hadn't met um, any of the mayoral candidates, and he was just speaking to some of the basic city services that are so important to him and his experience here in the city of Boston. I'd also say there's, you know, emotionally, I have a reaction when I meet some of my former students who now serve as teachers and police officers and you know, moms and dads in this city. And I've been out of the classroom now six years. I taught high school. So 
my kids, my, my former stu- students are all grown. That's pretty special when I get to meet them. And then, you know, when I think about my campaign staff, as we get around the city every now and then, we t- turn the tunes up high and enjoy ourselves for a few minutes with some trash music. And, and that's a lot of fun. So where's the party tonight? If you can have a party, where are you counting the votes tonight, I guess, is the question. Well, we're counting the, the votes in a private location. We've okay. got a little bit of a boiler room. And um, we're trying to keep the numbers in there low so the distractions are few. So yeah, and then we're even... celebrating Go ahead. after, and, and hopefully it is a true celebration. But, you know, this effort has been um, a, a work certainly in progress. I think it's a, a culmination of six years of service as an at-large counselor, certainly um, from leading from my experiences in the classroom, my experiences building a business and, and being a community member. And, you know, I'm hopeful today that the voters of Boston see promise, a continued promise in the work that I've been able to do in, in my capacity as an at-large counselor, and I hope to lead this city. And we've got a lot of work. I refer to it as the work that's left undone, and I look forward to fulfilling that for the people of Boston. So I was going to say to you, do, do you want to make a final 30-second pitch, but I think you just did, didn't you, or did you? <laughs> well, I'm hopeful to have the support of the people of Boston. I'm number one on the ballot, and I would be honored to serve as mayor and to to have your vote today. And, you know, it's, it's, it's those experiences that have prepared me for this moment. I am ready to lead this city. I look forward to leading this city. And I hope to do it in partnership with the people of Boston. It's their endorsement I'm looking forward to today. And number one on the ballot, easy to find. And, you know, all this, you know, it's an ether aside with George, but soon I hope to simplify it and just call me mayor. That's what we're working towards. Council, we really appreciate your time and good luck today. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Marjorie. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. That was the voice of Councillor Anissa Sabi George. She, of course, is running for mayor of Boston. The polls are open until 8 o'clock tonight. We want to thank her again for joining us. We're opening up the lines, taking your calls at 877-301-8970 now. 877-8970 now, as in right now. <laughs> Could you do that again? What was the number for the show? I We've only I'll, been doing this. I think for... I'll do that again. What is the number, did you say? 877-301-8970. There's no now at the end of that. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you're from Boston, we want to hear from you. If you're not from Boston, uh, you know, who's the standout to you in this race? Who do you think could be, bring the best leadership to Boston? Again, the number, 877-301-8970. No, uh, 877-301-8970 now is now. the number. It That's may right. Not it be may later. change. We can't assure you So you better call fast. I would exactly. I would call quickly. 877-301-8970. As Marjorie just says, we're dying to hear from Boston voters. Uh, who you? Who are you voting for and why? And if you're not voting, we will take you to task. We'd love you to call in. Maybe we can convince you to vote. And if you're not Boston voters, Marjorie and I, neither of us are Boston voters. I care deeply about what happens here. I work here. I love Boston. I spend a huge amount of my time here, as I'm sure virtually everybody listening to the show does. Who do you want to see be the next leader of the city? And what kind of direction do you want the city to be taking that it may not have been taking in recent years under its new uh, leader or its continued leader, should it be Kim Cheney? 877 Let me just say one more thing, by what? the way. What? Well, I was excoriating uh, people of cho- who choose not to vote in this. Uh, you can change your mind if you weren't going to vote. You have delayed o'clock. If you have a mail ballot, you can, don't mail it. It's too late. Uh, you can do it at a drop-off drop center. Yeah. Dropbox, I'm sorry, uh, throughout the city. If you go to the Secretary of State's website, uh, Bill Galvin's Secretary of State's website, 
uh, Secretary of the Commonwealth. You'll find out where the drop boxes are. You can do that. But really, there's no excuse. And even if you're not as familiar as you'd like to be, you'll hear all five candidates. You just heard Asabi George. All five candidates on our show today. Do a little research, but try to get out there and right. vote. I'm jealous that you have a vote, you Boston voter who's not planning on using it, and I don't. Eight seven seven three zero one eighty nine seven. What we're doing is we're giving everybody a chance for their final pitch. This is not a uh, hard it's not ball a debate, exactly. debate issue no. on the uh, no. substantive issues. This is just giving a chance for all the candidates to give their last pitch to our listeners. Uh, Chris in High Park, you are first on the mayoral race. Thanks for calling. Hi, hey, Chris. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Great. Fine. Thanks. Um, I voted for Campbell this morning. Why? And I, uh, we desperately need an African-American in the finals. Mm-hmm. It will be insulting if we don't. We'll be a national joke, as Adam was talking about. We had three qualified African-American candidates with slightly different, different uh, takes on things. And if we end up... If, if they all end up not in second place, because obviously Will is first, it's going to be really disappointing. Could you say, though, give us a, I understand that point of view, but add, why Campbell uh, uh, among those choices? Why was she the one that stood out for you? Instead of Janie or Barrows. Yeah. Um, basically, because her story is so compelling. Yeah. Um, Boston, we ignore people that um, haven't gone the usual route. You know, there's certain neighborhoods where people are supposed to be from. There's certain, or or there are little boxes, like Marty Walsh, who I liked, was, you know, the union person. And Connolly was the Harvard graduate from West Roxbury. Education. Here's a woman. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Here's a woman that defied all expectations of, of what she had, of what, she grew up in. Got it. And I'm just, I'm just hoping. You know, I'm not, I'm not knocking Wu, but uh, we'll see what happens in the general election. Chris, but I will be very disappointed. Well, you know, we appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for calling. It, it is a great thing in this year when we talked about racial reckoning, when we talked about police brutality, when we talked about, um, you know, all all these um, issues that when you hear the candidates in the debate and they talk about their lives. Um, Kim Janey spent time living in a homeless shelter. She was a uh, had a baby at 16 when she wasn't married. She managed, nonetheless, to uh, uh, get herself into college and to uh, obviously have a terrific career as a city councilor. Uh, Andrea Campbell spent time in the foster care system, which is really, really difficult. I mean, it's it's incredible to listen to these people's stories. You don't often, as as well, Michelle Wu became the parent of her household because of the her uh, mother's mental health, mental illness, yeah. and brought her mother. And that was when she was living out in Chicago, and brought her family to Boston, and was basically the guardian of her two younger sisters. She was, yeah, uh, while uh, helping her mother, who's not just got mental illness, but has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, yeah. which is a particularly difficult. Kind of mental illness. So, what do you think about uh, leadership in, in, the, in the city of Boston? What would matter to you? What would you like if you used to live here and you moved out, as so many people did, because you weren't happy with the schools? Is there a person you think that's going to help the schools? What about development? You know, one thing you can say about Marty Walsh, man, the cranes appeared like momentarily, like within <laughs> moments of his becoming the mayor of the city of Boston. He was the former building trades guy. He did a lot of good for the building trades in Boston, that's for sure. Our number is 877 301 8970. As we've tried to make clear, this is 
not a show for Boston-eligible voters only. It's for anybody who cares about the city, which we hope is everybody listening to the show. You know, I brought up a point yesterday, Marjorie. I think it was with Yahoo Miller from the Bay State Banner when Sue O'Connell was sitting in for you and I were talking. There was a lot of criticism of Wilkerson, former Senator Wilkerson's effort to unite uh, uh, the community behind one black candidate. And she was roundly criticized. Now, I'm, I can't remember. I may have criticized her, too. But the flip side is nobody criticized progressives in the Joe Kennedy successor race when Jake Alkenclaus, who ultimately won, was considered the more moderate of the candidates when it was said, well, progressives should have gotten together rather than splitting their vote behind one candidate, possibly Jesse Murmel. Nobody criticized that, even though it didn't happen. Why is that okay? Or was that okay? But so many people criticized the effort by Wilkerson to say, let's not split our vote. Let's find a black candidate who we can unite behind, whether there was unity or not is secondary. What's the difference? I don't know. That's a that's a very good question because it certainly was clear that Jake Auchincloss, although we had him on a couple of weeks ago and he was absolutely eloquent as a former Marine who served in Afghanistan, I believe it was in Iraq. I'm not sure where he served, mm. but one or the other talking about uh, the pullout of Afghanistan. He was very impressive. Oh, I wasn't criticizing or, or praising him. I'm just yeah, saying no, I'm just saying he, he was, was the us. more moderate of the candidates. He absolutely was. And Asabi George is the more moderate here, which is why a lot of people think that there will be a more moderate vote going to her. Uh, we have another candidate uh, that. Uh, we have another email, rather, who just said she voted for uh, Andrea Campbell as well. This is Laura in West Roxbury. She had her 14-month-old, and she just went to the polls, and they voted. And the reason she voted for Campbell, she said she got to know with her, uh, her through listening to our show. Uh, really liked her, and I think she likes Wu as well. I think she's going to run away with it, though. And she wants her up against someone formidable who's also an African-American. The city deserves a person of color. And I think Campbell, with her backstory and experience, would do a great job. Go vote, Bostonians, says Laura from West Roxbury. 877-301-8970. Let's go to Worcester, where Ethan is on the phone. Ethan, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Um, So I'm from Worcester, so I'm not traditionally from Boston, but I am a student, and I just graduated last year. And as somebody who's looking for jobs in the city of Boston, one thing I would really love the mayors to address is the lack of affordable housing, and particularly how much of the housing that is being built is luxury condo developments that are actually being bought up by Chinese exchange students who come to Boston schools. And it would be really great for one of the mayoral candidates to address what really is a limit to new educated individuals moving into the city and making it their home. By the way, it's not just Chinese exchange students. There's a lot of wealthy parents from around the world who do buy a condo for their kid. And uh, it, it is a bit of an issue. You know, Ethan, I'm sure, well, How, I'm assuming you knew. Hold on for a second. What? You know, can you imagine that? You're going to go off to college and your parents are buying you a condo so you can have a special place to live while you're, you're in college. You're loaded. The answer is yes. I, I guess, can understand but, it perfectly. I mean, wouldn't you, really? Wouldn't yeah. you want to be in the dorm experience like every other college well, kid? Well, but there's a point at which there's a second year and a third year. I don't know how it works. But I think sometimes it's the parents coming to spy on the children when they're in Maybe college so. here in Boston. Uh, excellent point, Marjorie. I'm glad you brought it up. So, Ethan, I'm sure you know in virtually every poll that I saw about this race, affordable housing, 
was uh, the number one issue. But if I, and there are differences between the candidates, but I think the most dramatic one, which uh, turns on some people, turns off others, is there's one candidate who is a pretty powerful endorser of what she calls rent stabilization. Uh, I think because rent control is a scarier term, and that's Michelle Wu, even though Janie said at one point she was open to at least being in the uh, range of options. Ethan, thank you for the call. I don't think you were anywhere close to alone on the housing issue. 877-301-897. You know what's also amazing? What? Uh, uh, that, the, the two things that stuck out from the Globe's terrific spotlight series on racism in Boston, I think from 2017, was obviously the the number that Irene Monroe quoted yet again yesterday, $250,000 wealth for the average white family, only $8 for the average black family. But the second number is, remember they did a poll of black Americans across the country, what's the least welcoming city in yeah. this country? Boston. And by far it was Boston. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much of a difference <clears throat> having a person of color operationally is going to have in the future. We'll have to see symbolically. Don't you think it's a huge message to the United States and to the people beyond our borders in Boston, whatever the outcome of this election well, is? Well, I mean, as a million people have pointed out, uh, Kim Janney got a lot of very flattering press when she was first named the acting mayor, and there were a lot of great stories about her, and people mm-hmm. made a big deal all over the country that Boston, the supposed racist hotbed, had a, uh, a black woman as mayor. So as one of the earlier callers just said, uh, she was concerned that if it ends up being Wu and Asabi George, then Boston across the country will mm-hmm. once again have rejected an African-American. Larry, you are in what you describe as beautiful JP. Or actually, I don't know if that's our call screener, Aiden, who called it beautiful <laughs> JP. But it is. Welcome to the show, Larry. Hi. Thank you very much. And that was my uh, adjective. Well, excellent, I, Larry. I, I appreciate the call. Or taking the call. Sure. I had to go through a process of elimination. I'm afraid that acting Mayor Janie did not impress me with her ability to lead the city. Mm -hmm. And so I was left having to choose between Campbell and Barrows. And despite the previous caller's very nice, eloquent statement of uh, Campbell's past, it seems to me that the future is what matters. And I had a better idea of what Barrows stood for in the future than Campbell did, so I voted for Barrows. And which this morning at seven oh five. Which of John Barros's plans for the future had most allure for you in beautiful JP Larry? <laughs> it's it's the whole package, I would say, because we all know that in Boston we're going to have to fight tooth and nail for change. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was captivated by a better, evocative story of where we're going to go in the future with Barros. You know, I I I'm sorry, go ahead, Michael. I was just going to ask you, Larry, Barrows has struggled. I mean, he's I think he's single digits in, in, in most of the polls. Yeah. It's not looking great for him. I was surprised myself because he's, you know, we've had him on. He's, he's a great guy to listen to. He's got a lot of great ideas. He's, he's from very, the Walsh administration, right. which so, is a pretty popular former mayor. What did you see that other people, I mean, why isn't he resonating? Well, um, let me... Dash to one side first. My wife and I had a very lovely and civil argument all last night when I announced I was voting for Barrows because she accused me of throwing away my vote. Hmm. And I wonder how much that has affected once he got into lower values. I, I think the anti-bandwagon effect yeah. uh, took over. Who's she voting but for, a, Larry? I believe Campbell. Uh, okay. I'm pretty sure she voted for Campbell. Okay. And for some of the same reasons that we're talking about. 
And she was captivated by the story. That meant a lot to her. Does she think JP is beautiful also or just you? She picked out the house, so I can only assume that she <laughs> saw the beauty first. Well, Jamaica Plain is beautiful. I mean, you got Larry. the Arboretum, you got Jamaica Pond. I mean, it's That's absolutely, great. It, doesn't, it doesn't get that much better than this close. You got the Franklin Park. I mean, it's also close. All that green space, Jim. Larry, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate it. 877-301-8970. I love election days, by the way, and I really am jealous. That you I know what's one of the great things election, that's great. that used to happen in Boston every year was that the uh, night before the election I spoke in Dorchester down by questions. yeah down by the Erie Pub. It was great. All these people. And that was the that was the final election, but everybody would come down great. and and hundreds and hundreds of people would listen to speeches and you know with COVID. I don't know if that will even happen. I, I don't know. But it is a great – it is such a – I'm sure it happens elsewhere too. It is such a fabulous Boston scene yeah. on the night before the election. Everybody's hopes are high. or fe- it's, it's great. It's great. David in South Boston, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Hey, how are you? I called you a couple of weeks ago. I had the son who – Busted show up and only four people oh, showed in the seat. Oh, yes, yes. indeed. <laughs> oh, God, I hope things are better now, David. <laughs> no, no, no. We, he just takes a TRI drive in the school. We gave up on the bus. Oh, great. But, <laughs> That's swell. <laughs> Who'd you vote for, David? Or who are you voting for, or I, whatever? I, I, I voted for Andrea Campbell. Okay. Um, really, really specifically, um, I have a really good story about her, but oh. I really, it really resonated. She really resonated with me with her story. I adopted a child from DCS, and um, you know, it's been one of the joys of my life. He was slotted to go, probably go into an institution, and kind of saved him, and he's doing well right now. So that story really resonated with me. Um, in addition to, um, actually, I live in Roxbury. I live in Barrows Country. And um, one day, Andrea Campbell's uh, canvasser was walking around Roxbury, and I happened to know the woman who taught my son way back in third grade. And she said, oh, hey, David. And she came over to my house. She loved my yard so much. She said, would you be interested in hosting like a, a party or something for Andrea? I said, of course I would. Two days later, Andrea called me personally. We laughed. We giggled. We threw a nice meet and greet for her. Um, and she was just so personable, so down to earth. She really could relate to everyone that was at my house. Um, I liked her style. She, I think that with the kind of the old boy network, she's going to be able to get along but also make change. Um, I will also say that I liked Wu. Wu. We also own a bakery in South Boston, and so Wu came by the bakery. And What's the name of the bakery? What's the name of the bakery? I'm Sweet Tooth, Sweet Tooth Boston. Great. Oh, my goodness. So, good. Yeah. So, and she came by and was asking. And it really does boil down, I think, to me is, um, first of all, there are a lot of great candidates, but I'm really um, touched or moved by the people who are doing that canvas work around the city and really trying to meet the people. Um, Andre, actually, we're in one of her commercials right now. It's so funny. Oh. I loved Wu. You know, and and Barrows, I'll tell you, he's a neighbor of mine, but he never even knocked on my door. Well, you know, David, you're the the answer to the question that I asked Adam before, Adam Riley, about personal contact. And, you know, the interesting thing, and David, thanks for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, Remember the polls that have come out about Menino and Walsh about that?
They ask people in Baltimore. This is a major American city, top 10 American city. How many of you have personally met, not seen him at a rally, not seen him on television? How many of you have personally met? Uh, It's like in the high 50s or 60%. I told you about my sister and brother-in-law who said they met him 15 times, (laughs) 15 times, you know, between between Little League games, between, um, you know, chicken dinner places and stuff like that. He was always about. I told you about- when, when your friend Jack Connors uh, yep. took me out to, uh, uh, suggested then Mayor Menino was kind enough to take me out to uh, Camp Harborview. And I'm walking around Camp Harborview with all these little kids from the city. And when Mayor Menino walks by, little kids are going, hey, Tom, <laughs> hey, Tom, good to see, you know, that kind of. That kind of thing. Jonathan from Roslindale, you have 30... Oh, we don't have time. We don't have time. Why can't we do uh, 30... Okay. We Jonathan, don't have time. Uh, sorry, my apologies, but, yeah. but uh, we're going to continue. In addition to talking to the other four candidates, Marjorie will introduce one in a second, we are going to be taking your calls throughout the day about this uh, race for a mayor. Yeah, that's right. Coming up uh, next, we're going to be talking to uh, Councillor Andrea Campbell, who has the vote of a couple of people that called before. And uh, between now and John King, later in the show, we're going to keep talking to the mayoral candidates. We're going to Keep taking uh, your calls on who you think should lead the city of Boston. If you're a Boston voter, tell us how you voted. If you're not a Boston voter, just tell us if there's a candidate that captured your interest and attention in this race and what you think Boston needs to do to elect a mayor to go, um, you know, to fix the schools, to, to fix climate change, to get us ready for the next few years at 877 301 8970. Boston Public Radio with Marjorie Egan and Jim Browdy. We're continuing our Boston mayoral preliminary palooza, taking calls from you, the voters, and hearing from all of the candidates. Joining us online from the campaign trail is Boston City Councilor and former City Council President Andrea Campbell. She represents District 4, that's Dorchester and Mattapan, as well as parts of Roslindale and JP. Andrea Campbell, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Hi, Andrea Campbell, thank you so much for for taking the time to call us. This is the last day of campaigning for the preliminary election. So how do you spend this uh, last day on the trail? Running the streets (laughs) in comfortable (laughs) shoes. So going, of course, from polling location to polling location, one, to thank my volunteers and all those who do the work, you know, with me and engaging voters and, and encouraging them not only to vote for me, but to get their friends and their neighbors uh, out as well. And so far, it's been great. Who'd you vote for, by the way? <laughs> oh, let's see, myself. <laughs> How'd that feel, Andrea and Campbell? Fabulous, and some fabulous at-large counselors, um, a lot of women. How'd it feel to vote for Andrea Campbell, being Andrea Campbell, as mayor of the city of Boston? It was emotional, you know, I grew up here, I, you know, you often say a poor girl from Roxbury that never envisioned ever becoming a public servant running for elected office, uh, and definitely not at this scale and magnitude. And, and to bubble in my name meant a, a lot. I had my family with me, my two boys. And when I came out, my oldest, Alexander, jumped off, uh, off a um, sort of a sidewalk into my arms, oh, and great. the tears started flowing because it really is about the next generation and the generation to come, making sure they had the same opportunities I had growing up in the city. So, in a very emotional day, but also an exciting day. You've been campaigning obviously for uh, a long time. You're one of the two candidates who obviously announced when we didn't know that Marty Walsh was about to leave town. What's the most important thing or two that you hope you got across convincingly to voters, uh, Councillor? 
one, that this is a historic time in the city and this is a historic slate of candidates, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, and I've gone out to stress my distinctions, which is not that I only have, that I have the lived experience. I've lived the very inequities we're talking about. You know, public housing, I started in public housing and now I'm a first-time homeowner in Mattapan. I'm a BPS kid. But I'm more than the lived experience. I've done the work. And the record of accomplishment on the issues they care about is significant. And all of that is, is distinct from every candidate in this race. And I hope to earn their support today because that leadership won't change going forward. You know, uh, Andrea Campbell, um, I asked this of other candidates. I'm wondering if you're a superstitious person, if you have like lucky shoes or lucky <laughs> earrings or, uh, you know, a, a headband or if there's anything that you, that you uh, like the baseball players that you uh, wear on election days, like you wore the day you were elected to the city council. Well, one, it's, it's prayer. So I start my day in prayer and, and, and that's my foundation there are a few bracelets I wear. Um, one is from an uncle of mine that creates positive and good energy. And another is uh, a peace bracelet and, and another one from my former campaign manager from our first race. Great. Uh, so they bring good energy. Is there a story you have from the campaign trail? As I say, it's been a long one this time that most stands out with you, that stays with you regardless of what happens today? I have a lot, but I have one from literally 20 minutes ago. I'm in Mattapan, standing outside of a polling location here, and there was a woman who went in to vote for me because of the the significant mental health concerns that her son has. Mm. And she said a lot of what has uh, been the response is criminalizing some of his behavior. And she had tears in her eyes and said, I believe that not only will you have the compassion in this work, but you'll do the work to make sure there are more resources across the city for folks struggling with mental health issues. And that meant a great deal to me. I've never met her before. It brought tears to my eyes as well. And so those are the things, of course, that inspire me. And, and I'm not slowing down, that's for sure. You know, ever since we've uh, known you, Andrea Campbell, you've talked a lot about urgency, and that's mentioned a lot uh, in your campaign literature and so forth, the, the sense of we got to get going. Where, where does that come from? The loss of my twin brother, Andre. You know, I often tell folks he's not just a, some political story. He was my best friend. He was my twin. We both grew up in this city, and I have been become successful by every metric, and he died while in the custody of a state prison. And that changed my life forever. So that sense of urgency is driven by the fact that no family should have to go through that. And that the city of Boston has all the resources, every resource that you can imagine, to make sure every young person, every family has access to good housing, a good education, everything they would need to not only be successful, but to thrive in this city. All the things that I had. And my job is to make sure other families have the same. We're talking to mayoral candidate and Boston mayoral candidate and Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell. Can you pick one endorsement that you received, Andrea Campbell, that you think says the most about your candidacy to the voters? I I can't pick one, and I'll say this. All of my endorsers are amazing. Elected community organizers, organizations. Uh, Many have been with me since my first District 4 Council race. But the recent NACA endorsement is a big one. Uh, because they recognize not only my lived experience in terms of going from public housing to a first-time homeowner in Mattapan, I want to make sure that opportunity was afforded every resident, but they also really appreciated my work and significant record of accomplishment on creating more affordable housing in the city. And so that was a major endorsement as we are going out to connect with voters. Their members have been mobilized and they share uh, they share with us that that meant a lot. And so that meant a great deal to me. And so, of course, going to continue to forge ahead 
to earn the support of voters across the city. We should tell people, NACA, I would guess we describe it as a nationwide housing opportunity for people, for first-time homeowners, as, as Andrea Campbell just said, who do not have very much money. Based and founded in JP. Bruce right. Marks was actually with us yesterday. We announced this. Uh, so uh, we've asked every candidate to take 30, 40 seconds at the end and give their final pitch to voters. So uh, now's your turn, Counselor. This is a historic election, and I tell folks the mayor's office and the local government touches every facet of their life. So, one, I want them to turn out and vote. But I also am the most unique candidate in this moment in time. I bring the lived experience of almost every issue that every resident has grappled with in the city of Boston, particularly those who are striving to still get ahead. But I'm more than a story. I come with a significant record of accomplishment on creating more affordable housing, improving our Boston public schools, Dealing with the opioid crisis in the city of Boston, that leadership won't change. And I'll always exercise a sense of urgency and work to bring residents together across the city to get things done. So I hope to earn their vote today and really excited to be out here. Good luck, Councillor Campbell. We really appreciate your time. And uh, as I said, good luck today. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Councillor Campbell. We appreciate your time. That was the voice of Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell, who is running for mayor of Boston. Okay, when we come back after the news, going to keep this up, going to interview, not interview, but we're going to ask for their final pitches, more of the mayoral candidates, going to take your calls on the uh, mayor's race today in Boston. Michelle Wu is the first one coming up, but we will have spoken to all five, as we like to do on election days. And again, your calls don't need to be from Boston, but uh, give us a buzz. You know, somebody just emailed from West Roxbury, said they voted for Andrea Campbell. And everyone was there wearing a mask in the voting place, except for the Boston police officer (laughs) responsible for checking all the voters out after they cast their vote. And that made her mad. I don't blame you, Pat. But you said yesterday the officials, when you were almost on jury duty, were great around masks, right? The court officers in Norfolk were great. They were great guys. They were funny. They were great. They thanks. But I mean, great in terms of masks. Yes. Yes. When people were not putting their masks up after they had a sip of coffee or something. Sir, sir, sir. So it was great. So you weren't a nervous wreck. Uh, waiting to Marjorie voted guilty before the, the <laughs> even before the evidence was all in. <laughs> okay, you're listening to Boston Public Radio on the day of the mayor's race in Boston. It's going to be mayor's race until John Cam, uh, John King from CNN later in the show. Stay tuned to Boston Public Radio. Today on Boston Public Radio, Boston is set to make history by electing its first mayor of color. We're talking to all five major candidates throughout today's show. Then CNN's John King will place the race in a national context and talk through some of the other consequential elections happening across the country, particularly the Newsom recall vote in California. Throughout the show, we'll hear just not from the five candidates in the running, but also take your calls, whether you're a Boston voter or not, on who should top the ticket today and who are the two that should emerge to the final election in November. All that ahead on Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH.
two of Boston Public Radio on Election Day in the city of Boston. Hello again, Jim. Hello again, Marjorie. And we're taking calls throughout the show all day from you. If you're a Boston voter or at least a Boston-eligible voter, we hope you call us. And if you're not from Boston, I assume you care about the city like Marjorie and I do. We'd like to know your preference as well and what you hope the direction of the city is in the future. All five of the major candidates were kind enough to call us today to make their final pitch. We pick things up with Boston City Councilor at large, former president of the Boston City Council, Michelle Wu. She joins us from somewhere on the campaign trail. Michelle Wu, welcome to the show. Hello, it's great to be with you. Yeah, you great too. to talk to you again, Councillor uh, Michelle Wu. So, Councillor, the polls opened at 7 o'clock this morning uh, in most places around Boston. What have you been doing for the last uh, five hours? And what are you going to do for the rest of the day? <laughs> the same thing. We've been trying to make sure that any remaining questions an undecided voter might have, that I can be there, that my team's out there in the polls. We started bright and early as the polls opened in West Roxbury. Then I took my family to vote, and uh, now we're swinging through the entire rest of the city as well. You know, uh, if you said, uh, Councillor, if anybody has remaining questions, when, at the end of this long race and you were an early entrant, what do you hope are the most important things that you have gotten across about yourself and your candidacy and your potential as mayor to the voters of the city? We bring a bold vision to really tackle the big challenges that Boston is facing, not to kick it down the can kick the can down the line more but also a track record and the experience in city hall to know how to get things done and most of all that this isn't something where just one person in boston can implement change we need to build coalitions and to get city hall out of city hall into our neighborhoods where everyone can be part of shaping our future what's it like voting for yourself for mayor of the city <laughs> it was um I went in with my husband and my two boys, and so I was holding my younger son, Cass, in my arms. He's kind of learning his letters a little bit, so I asked him to find which one was me, and I was going to vote for that one. So I was fingers crossed that he was going to find the M, but he did it. <laughs> I was going to vote for that one, she says. That's pretty good. We're, we're talking to Councilor Michelle Wu. You, mean, you just talked about building coalitions in Boston, et cetera, but you have to kind of prioritize things. If you do prevail, Councilor Wu, what's, the, what's, what's your day one high priority? Uh, to get things, uh, to get your your agenda going in the city? You know, this is a, a truly extraordinary and, and in many ways unusual year. We don't have a situation where the next mayor will get to be the mayor-elect for an extended period of time starting in November and then have a slow transition and inauguration in January. As soon as there's an elected mayor in Boston, that person is sworn in. That will happen in early November, right after days after the election. And so to hit the ground running, COVID response and our continued focus on the pandemic has to be the top priority, making sure we are safe headed into the fall and winter months, continuing to stabilize our schools as our school communities have been under such stress, and then preparing Boston for the winter and, and laying the groundwork so that we can truly get going on the big issues, housing, transportation, climate, schools, um, and, and making sure that we are uh, fulfilling all of the, the goals and, and commitments on the campaign trail. We're talking to Michelle Wu, obviously city councilor and candidate for mayor of Boston. When you're feeling down, you've had a tough day on the campaign trail, what's the moment of campaigning that you think back on that sort of gets you jazzed up again and ready to go? What's the thing that really stayed with you, Michelle Wu? You know, uh, some a wise person in Boston politics had told me early on in this campaign that 
for a race this intense, and especially at the point where we were getting in this race a year ago, today's our 364th day on the trail for mayor, um, that at first it would be good months and bad months, then good days and bad days, and good hours and bad hours. So, you know, there it certainly can be up and down as so much is happening, but I find joy in every day there's something that we can celebrate. A constituent that decided to get involved, someone who got inspired to start volunteering and knocking on doors, and a, a glimpse of what's possible if the city comes together and truly decides to take on our big issues. How, how old are your kids again? You mentioned one of your kids picking out. How old are your kids again, Michelle Four and six. Does the six-year-old know what's going on? <laughs> Please. Um, you know, they know that when we walk into spaces that uh, he just kind of runs to the microphone. <laughs> I'm hoping that we will get some time where where he does not have to be the center of attention anymore. It's kind of getting to his head a little bit. That's pretty Although, on the other but hand, it's been really fun having him on the trail. You know, you can tell them that if mommy wins, then mommy gets a big, huge car and there's big guys in uniforms and women in uniforms are going to come to the house. And so the perks for the for the little boys, you know, that might be those wheels, Michelle Wu. <laughs> they just want to... Uh, Get ice cream, play on the playground, and make sure that they can go ride their bike. <laughs> that's all that matters, and that's their platform. So, Councilor Wu, we're trying to ask more or less the same kind of last-day questions to all the candidates. So we've been asking, giving every one of you an opportunity to give us uh, your 30-second pitch to the listeners about why they should choose you over the other able candidates that are running. So why Michelle Wu? You know, this is a historic moment in Boston, and I am honored to be part of this amazing field of candidates. I am a mom with kids in our school system. I have raised my sisters in this city, care for my mom who lives with mental health challenges, so I know the gaps in Boston, but I also have a decade of experience in City Hall knowing how to get things done and knowing how much is possible if we bring people together to confront our our deepest challenges. So, This is a moment for Boston to really focus on the future, and I'm excited that we have been building the campaign that reflects all of those principles, bringing people together in every neighborhood and truly focus on how Boston can lead the way and and make sure that we are setting a foundation for our brightest future. We wish you luck today, and we really appreciate you making time for us. Thanks so much, Councillor Wu. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. That was the voice of Boston City Councilor at large, Michelle Wu, who is running for mayor of Boston. The close, uh, the polls are open until 8 o'clock tonight. We thank Councilor Wu again for joining us. And we're going to do what we did before. We're going to open the lines to you at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. If you're a local Boston voter and you voted already, we'd love to know how packed your polling place is. Did you feel there was a lot of energy there? How do you feel about getting out there and voting today? You will certainly uh, be voting uh, for the first non-white guy to be the mayor of Boston. This is a historic election in that sense. If you're still undecided what's going to take to get you to cast that vote, if you're not a Boston voter but you are very interested in the future and fate of Boston, give us a call as well or email us at bpr at wgbh.org. Tell us um, the person you think would be the best person to lead the city. Again, the number is 877-301-8970, bpr at wgbh.org. Org, or you can tweet us at Boss Public Radio. You know, Henry Santoro just said on the news at the top that, uh, that Bill Galvin, the Secretary of State, predicted, I can't remember what, what adjective uh, Henry used, but pretty decent turnout. 
Uh, I would characterize it as pretty pathetic turnout. As we discussed with Adam Riley at the top of the show, this is an historic election. It is rare beyond uh, uh, how historic it is in terms of, as you said, there's not going to be a white guy who's the next mayor of Boston. That's all we've ever had. Is It's a really high-quality field. I would love to hear from somebody who is an eligible Boston voter who has decided not to vote and explain to us why you thought it wasn't worth uh, your time. We'll try to be polite and uh, we'll m- probably try to convince you to vote. But uh, we'd love to hear from you because I'd like to understand the mindset of the two thirds of uh, Bostonians who apparently are sitting it out today. We have an email from Marjorie who said she's now driving into Boston from an island in Maine to cast her vote for Michelle Wu. She leaves with grace and knowledge on all the issues, but especially on the climate emergency. Jane just said she voted for Kim Janey. All politics are local. I'm a white woman living in Roxbury. Kim Janey is completely committed to making this a great city to live in and profit from all the great uh, the city has to offer. And thanks for giving Bostonians an opportunity to discuss all the great uh, candidates. Oh, Pia, she says, everybody, she voted at the Roxbury Boys and Girls Club, and she said everybody there was wearing a mask once again, except for the police officer Is that really true? organizing the crowd flow. No, these are two emails. The people's person, I believe, uh, was from West Roxbury. This person is from Roxbury, she, the Boys and Girls Club. So um, that's terrible. Remember when Ann Romney in that uh, brilliant, was it Jack Thomas's Jack Thomas. brilliant piece, Confused Roxbury and West Roxbury when yeah. he was running for it was, governor? It was, he, she, they were trying to show that they were acclimated here. They understood the city. And, you know, West <laughs> Roxbury is basically the home of cops, firefighters, Irish. And you go to West Roxbury, everybody's got a shamrock <laughs> on the shutters. It's true. I mean, it's a lot. You know, so it's very, very, very uh, white neighborhood in West Roxbury, needless to say, is, I mean, Roxbury, Roxbury is, a little different. is a very black neighborhood, um, but with some absolutely beautiful Well, it's becoming houses. more diverse, uh, uh, actually. It's becoming more diverse. But it's well, not it's West Roxbury. Houses. Well, Jewish people used to live there, Jim. Yep. If you were from Boston, that's where your ancestors would have lived. And if you've ever gone, uh, or if you live in Roxbury, you know some of the most gorgeous yeah. houses in the city with the parquet floors and stained glass windows and all that kind of stuff. Okay, let's go to Weymouth, where Derek is on the phone. Welcome, Derek. Thanks for calling. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, Pleasure. Uh, i got a few things to say, so bear with me for a second. Sure. Um, I recently moved to Weymouth. I was Derek in the South End for 18 years. Oh, hi, Derek, um, again. The thing that I miss the most about the South End is a shout-out to Blackstone Elementary, where my kids went to school. Yeah. Hey, we're Derek, we're Derek. losing you. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's your cell phone or your... but. Uh, uh, you started out really well, and then you What you miss most, you said. Say it again. Oh, I, I miss the Blackstone Elementary School oh, okay. where my kids went to school, and I'm still involved in the fundraising there. Um, what I don't miss is the mass and cast situation, which was so close mm-hmm. to my old apartment. Yeah. I think it's a disgrace, and I feel like whoever um, ends up in office really needs to maybe play some hardball. If, if Quincy is keeping us from building a bridge back to Long Island, maybe – Maybe transfer what's going on at Mass and Cast right down to Neponset on their doorstep and see if they change their mind. <laughs> well, you know, of all the things that we have talked about or our leaders have talked about forever that has not been resolved, I would put that at the top of the list, too. It's a huge challenge for the next mayor and every one of the five major candidates that talked about it ad nauseum. So, Derek, I've never lived in that part of Boston, but I, I'm with you, and I hope they uh, – they, uh, do what they say. Before you go away for a second, why did you end yep. up moving out of Boston? Uh, you know, I didn't want to. We have kids. I really didn't want to be the, the white flight family moving to the suburbs. We, that was exactly what I did not want to do. But in the end, a year of pandemic apartments, 
um, online schooling yeah. <laughs> in 950 square feet was yep. just not happening. Got it. And, uh, and we moved to, uh, yeah, have a little bit more space. It's good to hear from you again. Call us again. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. 877-301-8970. I don't even understand. We talked to Marty Walsh a lot about the conflict, as Derek mentioned, with the uh, mayor uh, uh, of uh, Quincy, who was uh, not going to allow the bridge to happen again. Is there litigation? I can't even well, remember. Is there pending what? litigation? Me, or what? This is crazy. What does that Just mean? Just bring people out there on Ugh. boats. And if there's a crisis and there's a medical crisis, we do have helicopters. You, know, you can have certainly very capable medical people there, but you can also have in a, in a life and death where you have to get to a, a, a fancy-dancy emergency room. Have, you know, People do that all the time. Ferries right? are great in January and February, aren't they? Well, they're not ideal, but I would argue that the situation down in Mass and Cass is just, and you know, it it it's new. This was not like this until Long Island shut down and everything was concentrated, or most everything was concentrated in that area. So you get off the highway, get ni- off ninety three, you go by the Suffolk County Jail to go that that exit ramp, and what is going on? There are dozens and dozens and dozens of people lined up in very, very difficult shape on the side of the road. I mean, it's just awful. Lisa in Cambridge, you're next on Boston Public Radio. Thank you for calling. Hi. Well, hi. hi. You can probably tell in a minute that I am um, not local. <laughs> well, when I said Lisa from Cambridge, I had a feeling that you were probably not a Bostonian, but go ahead. Well, uh, excuse me if I'm a little nervous. I feel the weight of all Southerners on top of me at this moment. But um, uh, I am very hopeful in this election uh, to see a woman of color lead the city. Um, uh, My husband and I specifically chose Cambridge when he found out he would be relocating with work, although he works in Nashua, New Hampshire. Mm. Um, We wanted to take advantage of the public schools here for our son, and we saw this the best match unfortunately what i was not prepared for was um the segregation mm-hmm. and um uh it has really impacted us uh, his work is coming to completion and we've made the decision to return to atlanta really um, when you uh, say segregation lisa are you talking about the schools housing what do you mean um in housing, in schools, in just the overall integration that I experience in the city, I will tell you we, we um, have benefited so immensely um, from uh, what the city has to offer. I've been a patient at Dana-Farber. I cannot say enough about health care, but unfortunately, within just a few weeks of moving into um, the city, uh, uh, comments were made directly to me about the choice that we made for the high school for our son and the black population in that school. And I really did not know how to respond to that. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. One of the reasons we chose this school was because of its integration. And my son had never experienced an education that was not. Wow. And he felt uncomfortable when he went to some of the other high schools that had excellent academic records. But when we went to visit, his first comment was, I can't go to school here. This is, you know, there are no black students in the school. Yeah. I mean, those were just his words. And uh, so um, 
every city has their challenges, and certainly Atlanta has been faced with tremendous challenges the past few years. But we've also benefited from um, a very diverse city council and mayors, and some amazingly strong black women as mayors, I must say. And um, I think it was a powerful experience for my children to witness that and to feel that experience. And I have had a lot of conversations with students at CRLS who... What's that? Cambridge, Ridge, and Latin. Oh, okay. Cam- Cambridge, Cambridge, and Latin. Oh, the school. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so um, I, I see it as a very hopeful time. I am impressed by the quality of the candidates. Um, and, but I will just say I am hopeful to see, um, you know... Lisa, a woman of color lead the city. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. We often hear about Boston sure. that one of the things about Boston and Cambridge as well is you don't see a black middle class unlike a place like Atlanta or Philadelphia or Washington, D.C. Is that part of what you've noticed as a difference here? I think very much so. Yeah. I did not. I. <laughs> you go out to eat in Atlanta um, and uh, you are surrounded by just about every culture you can imagine, but absolutely and certainly you are not the majority in a restaurant, in a grocery store, walking down the street, um, at the park. And in my experience, uh, conversations, uh, you know, there is a nod and a recognizing of, of whomever you stand in line with, but it's just extremely integrated. And when we moved here, I called back and talk to some friends and I'm like what am I missing and they said we tried to we tried to give you a heads up yeah Lisa um, can I interrupt you one second just because we have to get to other calls but I just want to be clear about something you're talking about how you're impressed by the field in Boston but not impressed enough about the potential for change in the future through one of those candidates to stay here is that is that a fair it's not intended as a criticism by the way I'm just asking you is that true I understand that and And I think the reason that is, is because I've been in situations where I've had open, you know, conversations are going on around me that I, I just believe that people would assume that I would be of like mind. Yeah. And I was very, just really disturbed. Got it. I have to say. Got it. And so I, I, I. I would love to stick it out, but I really miss, and there's a lot of work that can be done there right now, and I can be involved, but this is a great city. It is a phenomenal state, and um, I do think uh, that there are incredible candidates whose vision um, and perspective in what they've experienced in the city could really propel it. Okay. Um, Lisa, we thank you. Thank you for your perspective. We really appreciate your time and your thoughts. 877-301-8970. You're listening to Boston Public Radio. All five of the candidates, the major candidates for mayor of Boston, prelim obviously today, have been kind enough to uh, join us. But in between, we're taking your calls like Paul, who's calling from East Boston. Welcome. Hi. It's wonderful to talk to the both of you. Thanks. I'm a big fan. Oh, Thanks. thank you. All the way back to the old station. Well, we're pretty fond of that place, too. We're glad you're still with us. Okay. Now, this is something that I heard Michelle Wu say, and uh, the screen caller said that he was going to do some fact-checking on this. 
she said that she wanted to charge. Now, if you live in the Boston area, you have to have a residence sticker, no matter what city you live in. I have one for East Boston. If you don't have a residence sticker, for one thing, and say you, you're from Revere, which is the next town over, and you run into a convenience store for a minute, you're liable to come out and have a $60 ticket on your car for non-resident parking. But the thing that I'm aggravated about is she said she wanted to charge, she wanted to have a charge price put on uh, resident stickers. And like everything else in Boston, if, say, it starts off at, say, $30 a year, within 10, 10 years, that'll be a $100 charge just to be able to park on the street. Yeah, well, Paul, I think that's unfortunately the way of the world. <laughs> you know, you're lucky you can park on the street overnight in Boston. A lot of times you can't even park overnight in the street. She's charging Margaret's 25. talking about Brookline, yeah, by the way. Yeah, she's charging 29, okay. oh, didn't know that. 29 yeah. bucks for a residential parking permit. That's what she wants. And an additional, this from from a story that was uh, a year or so ago, but I think it maintains the same uh, facts here. Additional 25 bucks for each registered vehicle. She's also trying to cut down people having a bunch of cars parked all over the place. I don't know what it's like in East Boston, Paul, but I know in... in, in you can't find a parking space. Well, it's impossible. But that's but that's the thing. You can't find a parking space in Austin and Brighton very much either. It's really difficult to park. South Boston, the same thing. So the thinking is get more cars, have fewer cars in the street, which seems like a good idea to me. I don't know. Paul, thanks. Um, I, I, I just don't, I don't buy that it's going to stay $29. Well, I, I, I know every year it's going to go up and up and up. Yeah. Paul, thanks for your call. Let's try to squeeze one more in, if we can, before the break. Rob in Dorchester. Hi. Hi. How are you? Um, Good. This is uh, this is really cool. Um, I've never I've never called in before, so this is a real treat. Oh, glad, glad you did. You. Thanks for calling. Um, uh, just in, and before I get to you know my whatever my agenda is, um, <laughs> I just you know that your last caller was you know uh, with the responses about the resident parking, we could pay for the BPS with just Michael Flaherty's cars alone. Um, <laughs> I, hold on, um, hold on for a second. Um, Does Flaherty have a lot of cars? Yeah, I didn't know that. He lives in South Boston. Yeah. He's been a city councilor forever. He ran for mayor at least once, maybe twice. I didn't know Mr. Flaherty had a lot of cars, Rob. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> You've done some. Uh, well, it was. I was, uh, was, was on a. Uh, what was it? Bur. I think had an article about him having five cars. But, oh, okay. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so anyway, sorry. Um, uh, the my wife and I split the vote today between um, uh, Michelle Wu and Andrea Campbell. We we both felt that they were very strong candidates. Um, but it was also there was no way that either of us could vote for Anissa. Uh, it just, Why? Uh, there's no way. I've I've had dealings with her at a health center that I used to work with here in Dorchester. Um, she's a bully. She's a vindictive person. And I would even go so far as to call her a thug. Unfortunately, I can't oh my go goodness. into any details, but I don't find her, um, you know, the, the sweetness and light thing that she's been doing, I, I don't find that um, genuine. And I think that she would be an extreme disservice to the city of Boston. And I hope that your listeners will, will you know, uh, ask a few more questions about the tax problems you know, problems in quotes um, that she's had in past years um, about her husband. Well, actually, you know, on that note, rather than leaving that hanging, we discussed that with her last time she was on. If people Google it, Boston Public Radio and Asabi George, we didn't broach it today because it's election day, but we did discuss it with her in the past. And if people want to learn more about it, read The Globe or uh, 
uh, check out our interview. Rob, thank you for the call. We appreciate it. 877-301-8970 is our number. We're talking to the mayoral candidates um, all day long today. Coming up next, we're going to talk to John Barrows. Uh, he is uh, running for mayor as well. John Barrows is next. You're listening to 89.7 GBH, Boston Public Radio. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Mardrigan. Welcome back to our Boston mayoral race blowout. Back-to-back interviews with all the five major candidates. Wall-to-wall calls from you in between. Join us online to make his final pitch to voters is John Barros. John most recently served as Boston's chief of economic development in the Walsh administration. John Barros, welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim, great to be on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us, John. So to listeners who are sick of hearing us ask the same questions over and over again <laughs> here, we're trying to be fair because it's Election Day and be more or less in the same ballpark with all the candidates. So I'll ask you, John Barris, what I've asked the other ones. It is Election Day. Polls open at 7 o'clock this morning. What have you been doing all morning and what are you going to do for the rest of the day? It's all about being out here with the voters. I, I quickly uh, got up, got the kids ready brought them to school and luckily it was a poll location so as i'm bringing them to school <laughs> i'm trying to talk to the voters and my daughter's pulling me on one side and I'm, i've got this you know my hand extended on the other side trying to greet the woman who's about to go vote um but yeah we're out here i've already hit three different locations i'm in rosendale now and hoping that the uh the flow picks up it's light out here uh so there'll be more voters yeah what do you make of uh, of that we have been uh bemoaning the fact that uh, the Secretary of State is predicting a turnout that's lower than in 2013 when Marty Walsh was first elected. And we were talking about the fact that we've got five, I think there's a consensus, of really good candidates running for this office. What, what do you attribute the, these numbers to, John Barros? Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, Jim, we've, we've seen the, the low turnout in other municipal elections recently, New York most recently. Um, so, the, the, you know, the pandemic has really shifted, uh, you know, people people's uh, appetite for engaging. I, I saw that all throughout the campaign. We're now seeing it on election day. I think it's a big deal. Uh, uh, not everybody's safe getting out yet. Not everybody is... Um, is engaged because there's other things in their lives that have them occupied because people are stressed because, um, you know, many people are still not working. I mean, this is real and it's real for a lot of folks. And, and I think that's what we're seeing. So John Barris, uh, you're an athletic guy. I'm wondering if you have any like uh, ra- rabbit ears or rabbit tails or any lucky charm kind of things <laughs> that you uh, bring out on days like these. Any of that stuff going on? Are you a superstitious guy at all? You know, Marjorie, I, I appreciate you calling me an athletic guy. That's why I like you more than Jim. <laughs> That's I, right. I hadn't said it publicly yet. You're not the yet. only one, John, by the way. Yet, but I will say it. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I went to church first thing in the morning, uh, right after I dropped off my kids. Yep. Uh, we went to church. It was the first thing we did. Uh, we went, met by our faith-based community. We prayed. That's my lucky charm. That's where I kind of hang everything on. And then I got going and hit the ground. What's it, John Barris, during this campaign, what's the major thing that separates you from the other four major candidates you've been trying to impress uh, on the uh, voters of the city? 
You know, I think the thing that separates me the most is my experience. It's my executive experience uh, in government last seven years as chief of economic development, both balancing the budget while we grow our economy, uh, seven years of AAA bond rating. Um, I'm ready to use that, those good years uh, to invest in our schools. $4 billion, as soon as I get in, we're going to start moving that money to build quality new schools in every neighborhood. Um, I know where the money is. I know it's going to cost us two, two and a half percent. I know it's going to cost us $80 million a year to pay for $4 billion. No other candidate can talk about how they're going to get what they want to get done. I know how. I've done most of it, and I can continue to do it as mayor. I've built affordable housing, built new schools. I'm ready to go day one. Is there anything, John Barrows, that you're worried that um, you didn't get across to voters as well as you hoped this time around? Anything in particular? I think, you know, uh, that, you know we, we talked about the participation or lack of participation because of COVID and the pandemic, and um, getting in front of people is important. Um, I think people understanding what I've done and what, what my stance are on affordable housing is important, uh, knowing that I was an executive director of an organization that built the largest land trust in the country and put uh, hundreds of family families in affordable housing. They don't have to worry about their payments for mortgage and, or, and rent because they it's affordable. Um, knowing that I'm a small business owner and that I, you know, have helped to support small businesses through the pandemic and before the pandemic. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've opened three different schools, both designed and um, helped to construct two different schools. And so um, these are the kinds of things, Marjorie, that I think voters need to know. So so can you have even a, a, a party tonight, John Barris, with, with COVID? Or do you have to kind of scale that back like everything else? Yeah, no, unfortunately, it's it's safety first, it's yeah. health first, so we will scale that back. We, we're we're going to have a gathering at the restaurant, and we're asking everybody to wear masks, and, and we're going to actually close the door at a certain capacity just because um, of, uh, of health reasons. We're also going to broadcast and, and simultaneously um, uh, uh, stream it virtually, but it's a shame, in fact, that we can't, you know, see the kinds of election day parties that we typically do. Yeah. So, John Barros, we've asked each of the candidates to spend 30 seconds or so at the end to make a final pitch to the listeners. And it's your turn. So uh, take it away. Thank you very much. I want to thank both of you for the opportunity to talk to voters today. Um, I am number eight on the ballot, so it would be the final name uh, for mayor, John Barrows. And, you know, I've spent most of my life, starting at the age of 14, in the public space trying to improve our city. Uh, Starting with environmental justice and neighborhood improvement work, um, I've been out here making sure that there is a seat at the table for everyone, that we have all the voices, everything from, you know, uh, putting together a collaborative to bring $12 million back to the city to help improve our schools to um, helping to uh, open new businesses in, in different neighborhoods and make that work. And I've been, it's been an honor. All of it has been amazing. Boston's an amazing city. Vote for me. I'm the mayor. I'm the candidate for mayor that is most ready to hit the ground running and make the changes that Bostonians want to see in our city. We can get it done together. Thank John you. Barros, thanks so much for calling in and good luck today. We appreciate yeah, your time. Appreciate it, John Barros, very much. Appreciate both of you. Be Thank well. And uh, hey, guys, are you your your voters too? Right, vote for me. No, <laughs> we are voters, but not and in Boston. Not, no, sadly, no, no. no I, I'm I'm a traitor. I moved to the suburbs, John. <laughs>
Sorry. Oh, I once Marge, was. Well, Marjorie, you have friends. That's right. I have friends. <laughs> no, no, you have friends. I have lots of you friends in high places. Absolutely. I'm on it, John. Thank you. I have any friends? John Barrows, thank you for the call. Boy, that was a hell of an indictment of me. Thank you very much. I used but to I live am, in Boston. By the way, I am. I said it before. I am jealous. I care hugely about this election. Well, you know what? And I, I, I hate the fact. I mean, I love being in Cambridge. I love voting in Cambridge. I'm pretty responsible about it. I hate the fact that I can't vote for one of these five people. Well, I, I think I'm like thousands of people, people that started their lives in Boston and mm-hmm. lived in Boston and then had children and realized that it was going to be very difficult to find out so close to September where your kid was going to go to school in the fall and how far your kid was going to have to go on a bus to get there and you know the, it was how difficult it was going to be for you to get to your kid because they're so far away from you and all you know and I just watching my niece and nephew I gave up I knew I couldn't do it and I think that's what's one of the great tragedies of Boston is that we are a small city surrounded by the, some of the greatest universities in the world why a third of the schools in Boston are underperforming in this city is just nuts. But I think if if the schools changed in Boston, and there are some really very good schools in Boston, mm-hmm. but they just aren't enough. And, you know, it seems to me that that's one of the great tragedies here, that we cannot um, have better schools um, when we are as wealthy and as well-situated as we are. Our number is 877-301-8970. Marjorie earlier in the show said our number is 877-301-8970 now. That's right. So she may know something I don't. You never know I don't when think it could change, I want to know. Never know. But that is definitely our number for at least the time being. And we're not only interested in talking about would-be Boston voters or people who've already voted telling us who they're voting for and why – we're interested in people talking to people like us who don't live in the city, but either work in the city, spend a lot of time in the city, care deeply about the city and its politics and about what direction you're hoping the next mayor or the continuing mayor, if it's Kim Janey, takes uh, come election time. You know, uh, come uh, 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 swearing in, uh, Michelle Wu said something to us before that we didn't mention. Unlike a normal election, and I can't explain why, so I'm, I'm, I apologize in advance, we have to wait till the January inaugural thing. For some reason here, and maybe it's because there's an acting mayor, could one of you guys check this out in the control room if you Probably don't mind? Is. You take office uh, and very soon after the final, right. which is in early November, which is obviously a very different uh, kettle of fish. 877-301-8970. What issues do you care about? What candidates do you care about why did you make the selection you did and as i said i'll continue making a plea if you're one of the two-thirds of eligible voters in boston who according to bill galvin the secretary of state is a pretty good predictor of turnout believes will not be turning out will not be voting today we'd love to hear why well, with a stellar field like this you, you know are what? deciding to sit it out i've gotten three emails from people all saying the same thing Marjorie's holding up three fingers I just in case i don't understand so part of the reason uh according to these three different emailers is that um this is a great field of candidates and they just they're fine with whoever prevails as the last two can i tell can- you I, I said this to adam riley when he said on their podcast last night mm-hmm. i can't remember someone said this i find that to be pathetic the notion that as good as this class of five is, mm-hmm. that you can't figure out who you think uh, shares the most of your interests will be the best leader of this city, but that I'll be fine with any of them is to me. Well, I'm just a, relaying. It is sad. And by the way, if one of you people who emailed that, uh, I'll try to be nice, wants to call in, I'd, like to, I'd really love to hear. I don't accept the fact that if you pay attention and you do research – 
that there's not one of these people who is closer to your worldview than the other four. Brunier, our man hey, Brunier, in Hyde Park is calling. Hi, Brunier. <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. Uh, sorry, guys, I've been traveling um, ever since I got vaccinated. I've been going all over. Oh, I've good for you. Africa, yeah. Really? Uh, Where well, in Africa? What have you been doing in Africa? Well, I was in Kenya. I just, uh, you know, I'm an amateur filmmaker, so I went to Kenya to talk and, and do some interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, neat. I didn't know you were a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bernier, we'd love to hear oh, about yeah. that. Send, Drop us a note or <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm serious. Uh, drop us a note at bprwgbh.org and maybe we can talk about that as well. Who'd you vote for? Okay. We know you're not uh, sitting it well, out, I, that's no, for sure. I definitely will. I haven't voted yet, but I will vote for Andrea Campbell. I mean, Why? Her story... Uh, you know the the book the tale of two cities. I'm thinking yes. of the tale of of the twin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I think her story is extremely compelling. You know, here are two people. It's just like a scientific experimentation. You have two individuals from the same family, and the only difference is the opportunities that each of them had through education. Yeah. and it's just I, I think it, since education is such an important thing in Boston. I mean, of course, housing is too. But then again. Housing with education. If you have a good job, you might find this housing here too. So I think Andrea's story is, is, is something that touches me. And plus the fact that she's very, very smart, extremely articulate, and, and I just I just love her. Um, John, hey, I'm not saying John. Um, I like John as well. <laughs> I mean, Jim, there's so many great choices that it's so hard. You know, the only person I wouldn't vote for, honestly, is the. Uh, um, well, I don't. I don't want to do personal politics, but uh, the the woman from West Roxbury, because of her husband's uh, dealing with uh, the real estate stuff, so that's about it. But everybody else, I think, could be a great candidate. But I personally, I'm, I'm choosing Andrea. Yeah, it, 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 when you think about it, it is really incredible that, um, I mean, not only did she, did she get herself into Boston Latin, which is no easy feat, she got herself into yeah. Princeton, which is really uh, no easy feat. And it is a, um, you know, as, as Michelle Obama wrote about in her book, it's not an easy place to be a mm-hmm. uh, an African-American at Princeton. And she excelled and went on to law school. So, you know, I love it. Did you hear, I, I'm sure she says this in campaign sp- uh, speeches too or presentations. I don't know if, which of the two debates this week, maybe both, after she mentioned, you know, the ending up at Princeton and that sort of thing, she talks and uh, she says, and I think I, I'd be considered a success by any measure or some line that is really great by somebody for somebody who obviously has done remarkably well. Bernier, it is great to hear from you. We've missed you. Drop us that note and we'll uh, we'll get in touch. Thanks for uh sharing your vote and your perspective. We appreciate it. 877-301-8970 is our number. You know, here's a good one from Elizabeth, you know, who says uh, she she follows Boston politics. She remembers the preliminary elections before Walsh's first win. And this year is remarkable, not only for women and candidates of color, but because there are no wacky candidates in the field. Well, actually, <laughs> I, I don't want to. Uh, there, there are other candidates, I wouldn't say wacky, who we have not mentioned because these five are so prominent and the others are getting virtually no support. Marjorie does not remember because her memory, actually my memory is not so hot either, but I remember this. Do you remember that in the, I think it was in 2013 race, 
there were something like 17 candidates. And you may or not re- may not remember, we did exactly what we did today, uh-huh. uh, except we did all 17 of them. I think one chose not to call in, if I remember correctly. And let's just leave it at this. It was an incredible experience to deal with. <laughs> All of those candidates, they were not universally uh, ready for so the So there were one or, two, one or two wacky candidates then, Jim? There was no uh, Jimmy the Rent is Too Damn High. What was his last name from I New York? I don't know. I love Jim, Was it though. McMillan or something? Jimmy the Rent is Too Damn High. I mean, what but a the great rent slogan. is too damn high, as it he would say. So high. what is the... And you know, all these stories about New York City, this demise of New York City, you know, two of my kids live there. You know, it's not as if uh, the rent is coming down in a significant way or there's all these bargains in New York City and, and everybody's out and about. You know why? You know why too? No, because they have those pa- those passes. You have to have to get into all the places, get into bars or restaurants. Imagine what would happen if you if you had to be vaccinated to get into a bar in South Boston. You know what would happen? All those twenty one year olds in South Boston would get their vaccinations immediately. I'm with you. By the way, the answer to the uh, question, uh, Michelle Wu, I mentioned, said to us around noon that the uh, winner of this. A general election on November 2nd will be sworn in uh, of the obviously two finalists immediately after. Uh, Here's what the uh, deal is, as opposed to like a traditional January swearing in. The counselors, as we're reading from the Globe, recognize that swearing in the elected mayor after certification would clear up confusion between the powers of an acting mayor, which is what Kim Janey is. And she actually may end up being the duly elected mayor, too. And follows the will of the voters. So there was a change uh, voted for by the council, which means that the winner come November 2nd will be sworn in soon thereafter. Diego from Mission Hill, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling. Hi. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. Um, so I've been st- I live on Mission Hill, but I've been staying with my girlfriend in Wareham since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I actually messed up my mail-in ballot. I guess I'm not as smart as I thought I was. So I'm in Boston <laughs> today to vote. Oh, good, oh, good for you. And, uh, and I agree, well, there's lots of reasons to come to Boston. I get to visit people. But, um, you know, I agree that all the candidates are terrific. Now, my reason to vote for Kim Janey, and I know other people for whom this is true, you know, uh, Tip O'Neill said all politics is local. Well, when you get to local politics, it becomes personal. I happen to know Kim Stanley. They're good people. And I know friends who know one of the candidates' families. And when you put them all in a hat, they're all pretty good candidates. I'm going to vote for Kim Janey because... I know her story very well. I know her family. And they're educators. I'm a teacher myself. Yeah, she That's does all. come from a, a family of educators. Mm-hmm. Wasn't her father, mother, stepfather, something her like father, that? Uh, yeah, a very famous educator, actually. Yeah. He's superintendent of the Washington Public Schools, I believe. You know, Diego, the reason I'm really glad you called is one of my favorite things, and I mean this sincerely, is somebody who goes way out of their way because the vote really matters to them. And you traveling back to do it, I think is just Terrific, and I hope would wish that everybody would follow your relentless lead. Diego, thank you for calling in. 877-301-8970. Do you remember when this was particularly in the race? I don't know if it was the first or second Obama, maybe the first, where people were flying in from all over the world. People who, you know, were were uh, eligible to vote in the election here, maybe were away, hadn't gotten an absentee ballot or whatever an international ballot is. Don't you love it when people take their vote as seriously as people should take their votes? Yeah, I mean it's a big it's a big deal. It's it's a, it's a big deal. It, I'll never forget. Um, I don't remember when it was, but remember the pictures of the people who had their thumbprints, the Iraqi voters, who mm-hmm. had their thumbprints to identify themselves at the polls, and how the 
something like 80% of people showed up to vote. You look at the, the votes in some other countries, especially countries that have been deprived, the vote who don't take it for granted. I mean, they've, I, I think we take it a lot for, for granted here. Uh, anyway, it's, um, I think it's School from uh, Rosendale. I, I may have pr- mispronounced uh, your name. I'm sorry. Uh, it's Sko. Sko. I'm sorry. You? Welcome, Sko. Good. Uh, I'm uh, going for the hometown girl which is uh, Michelle Wu. Mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to actually meet her in person and talk to her, like I had with Walsh and with Mia Tom before that. Mm. Um, um, she's a great kid. Uh, they're all great kids. But um, I think what makes her uh, especially appealing is that she's wicked smart. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. I was just going <laughs> to okay, say Okay, you got the Rosendale thing going there, huh? <laughs> hey, Scott, thank you for uh, sharing your uh, vote with us. We appreciate it. 877-301-897. It's one of my favorite Boston expressions, I should say. Didn't they say smart. that over and over again in that Matt Damon movie, the first one that made him famous with oh, Ben Affleck, so. the one of, uh, uh, what was it called? Goodwill, Goodwill hunting. hunting. Thank that you That was very John much. Parker who reminded us yeah. the name of the Wicked film. Smart. Believe me, we didn't come up Wicked with smart. it. Let's go to Becky in Mattapan. You're next on Boston Public Radio on Election Day in Boston and a lot of surrounding communities as well. Hey, Becky, welcome. Hello, old friends. We met at Fenway Park 100 years ago, and I've been emailing you for 200 years. Oh, oh my God. great. Wait, the you're Springsteen the, Are you the Becky right from Springsteen? Yes. I oh, my gosh. Didn't you leave town? Yes. I did. I raised my children in Hanover. My husband and I moved down to Metro D.C. He is down there today making vaccines for a nonprofit agency. Wow. Oh, uh, great. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm up here spending the money that he makes, which is even better. <laughs> um, but we relocated to Mattapan. Oh, great. Um, it's wonderful. I love it. But my daughter and I went to vote today at Lower Mills. Of course, as everyone has said, everyone was masked except the um, officers. Who just, Wait a minute. They said, oh, are you two related? And I said, yes. I said, we're sisters. And they laughed. And I said, you know, you didn't even have to laugh that hard. But, yeah, same experience everywhere. Um, but as we were driving home, I got choked up. I looked at my daughter, and there was a mother and a little boy walking to school, obviously not of means. And I said, Jordan, we were so blessed to have so many advantages. And, um I, I sure wish we could get these schools in shape. And she looked at me. She said, Mom, you do understand that all these candidates have children in BPS. She said, I am very hopeful. So I just wanted to pass along that I'm really hopeful, too, because we live in this beautiful city with all these educational places, and, and the schools are, are not great. Who'd Becky. You, who'd you vote for, Becky? You and your kid. I voted for Andrea Campbell. She lives two streets over from me. She's my neighbor. And and is your kid old enough to vote or no? Oh yeah, my daughter's in her thirties. And ho- who'd she vote for? Uh, I believe she would like to keep that private. Oh, oh that's good fine. for her. Okay. So Becky, I just want to be yeah. clear now because I'm I'm getting worked up into a frenzy here. So you also <laughs> went to a polling place where everybody had their masks on except for the Boston police officer who was yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's They're good. Very pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> very pleasant. That's right. Yeah. Hey, Becky, it's really great to hear from you. And by the way, Becky, we had a contest at our old radio station where listeners, I don't know how they won, but won tickets to go with us see to see Springsteen. Yeah. And uh, that was a great night. Becky, it's really good to hear from you. And welcome back and stay in touch. Thanks so much for your call. Becky has stayed in touch through email, despite the being out of state for all these years. That was a great night. Do you remember that? Yes. Oh, my God. It was. Only, I'm not sure the acoustics are as great in Fenway as they could be. But I thought they're fabulous. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you fabulous. don't even remember the next night. What did you do the next night? 
When you I, didn't have tickets? I drove down Brooklyn Avenue, parked the car, opened the windows, and heard the concert. It was great. From by the way, then, on Brooklyn Avenue, which is right outside of Fenway Park, by the way. The other uh, concert, uh, since we're going back to memory lane, that's worth mentioning on our prior, when we were on commercial radio, where we took listeners, is we took listeners to the garden, to the, uh, uh, to the reunion of Simon and Garfunkel, and the most significant <laughs> part of that is we were the youngest people oh in God. the room by about yeah. 20 years, and we were not young. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That was an incredible yeah. uh, moment. Paul from West Roxbury. two guys who didn't like each other, by the way. They were pretty great. Yeah, they were. They were great. Well, they, they haven't lost their voices really very much. Paul from West well, Roxbury, thank has. you. Oh, Hi, which Paul. one? Which one? Simon. Can't, oh, he has? He can't sing. Oh, okay. Hi, guys. Hi, Paul. Welcome. What's up? Two things. I'm just impressed that we have such – I've lived in Boston all my life. It's the best slate of candidates. I'd be content with one of them. But yeah. more importantly, um, I'm on the road between jobs, and I was listening to you, and I changed my vote. Really? From who to who? I'm going, I'm going from Wu to Andrea Campbell. Why? I, <clears throat> You know, I, I have watched the debates and everything, but just, you know, her five-minute conversation with you guys just said, you know what, I'm, I'm switching gears. Um the whole idea of her just living every challenge that you know all the all the great challenges that people have in yeah, Boston, she's yeah. and yeah. the fact that she's on the yeah. inside lane, I'm that's so me. So I changed my vote because of your interview with her wow. about an hour ago. So Paul, have you lived in West Roxbury your whole life? No, my folks are actually off the boat from Ireland, but I grew up in Jamaica Plain. Okay. So I always do wonder how they get all those shingles on the shutters in West Roxbury. You know, they're usually green, usually shingles. You know, it was, was <laughs> that happened at the turn of the century or was that during the Irish need not apply time or what was going on there? Do you know? <laughs> I don't think I have an answer for that one, Audrey. Well, call us back when you do, Paul. Paul, thank you for uh, voting and thank you for listening and thank you for calling. We appreciate it. Was it is amazing. West Roxbury is like a suburb within the city of mm-hmm. Boston. Like just these big single-family houses. These but you do feel that. Like when that. you do drive to... I was visiting some friends there a couple of weeks ago. You do feel when you go there that it's sort of like on the outskirts. That's and right. You do. It's Irish Riviera. I should be living there, too. And what's the... You are Irish. That's a very good That's point. Right. And what is the... What's the question maybe our listeners can answer? What was the question you were addressing to Paul that he was unable well, to answer? Um, th- there are a lot of shamrocks on the shutters. Shamrocks on the shutters, yeah. yeah. Well, that may be. I would guess. I don't know. I... Maybe because an Irish person lives there. Would or you built think the that house? was possible? Or maybe built every house? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, we're talking to mayoral candidates today. You can join us in the conversation, 877-301-8970. Whether you're a Boston voter or not a vo- Boston voter, neither Jim nor I are Boston voters. Uh, but, you know, weigh in. Who's, who's impressed you? Who hasn't? Who do you think should leave the city? And as soon as we come back, we're going to be joined by the acting mayor. I think she's the fifth of the five candidates kind enough to join us today. Kim Janey after the break, then more your calls, then John King, then more your calls. So stick around. You're listening to Boston Public Radio with Marjorie Egan and Jim Browdy. If you're just tuning in, it's our mayoral preliminary palooza. We've been hearing from all the candidates who've been making their final pitch to voters. We wrap things up with acting Mayor Kim Janey. She's calling in from the campaign trail. Kim Janey, welcome to the show. Hey, Jim, how are you? Uh, we're good. Thanks for asking. So, uh, Mayor Janey, how you hey, spend? Uh, hey, great to talk to you again, uh, Mayor Janey. How are you spending your last day? 
Uh, well, I hope that this isn't the last. Oh okay. yeah. Touche, touche. You know, it's been uh, great to connect with residents all across our city, every single neighborhood. Uh, when I stepped in as mayor of Boston, as you guys know, back in March, our cities are facing unprecedented challenges, a global pandemic, and I'm really proud of what. I've been able to do working with our residents, working with community, working with business leaders. We have our city reopened. Our kids are back in school. Our, you know, crime is trending in the right direction. Uh, we are keeping people in their homes through our housing agenda. And Boston is one of the most vaccinated big cities in the country. We've got more work to do. I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish in five months. Imagine what we can do over the next four years. I'm certainly hoping uh, to continue to serve and lead the city that I love as someone who grew up here, who's, uh, you know, this city gave me everything. And I never could have imagined growing up in the 1970s, uh, someone who experienced some of the worst days uh, in our city, that I would uh, be leading us through these uh, challenges uh, and getting us to this place. Uh, it's just proof that Boston is a city of hope, of possibilities, and I am hopeful for our future and just grateful for the opportunity to serve and lead. So in that spirit, how does it feel to vote for yourself for mayor of Boston? You know, it, uh, it's, 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 it's wonderful. It's humbling. I'm, I'm really honored. I, you know, in, in some ways, it's still that pinch me moment uh, to, to think, you know, I could have never have dreamed of this, uh, that that I would be mayor of Boston leading us through these uh, difficult times, but it has been great. We've got a lot more work to do. Uh, so, you know, these challenges uh, didn't happen overnight. And so we still have a lot of work to do. Um, I'm grateful to be able to work with residents all across our city to tackle these tough issues uh, together. I think what separates me uh, is my experience, my experience growing up in Boston uh, having experienced many of the challenges that residents today are facing, uh, you know, living through those uh, challenges, my professional experience in the nonprofit world, 30 years advocating for children and families, uh, and then my experience in elected office, first as a city councilor and certainly as mayor of Boston for the last five months, tackling tough issues head on. Uh, and, and always prioritizing the people of our city. And so that is the work that I want to continue to do over the next four years uh, and certainly hopeful uh, that we are making our case uh, today and over the last five months uh, for those next four years. We're talking to acting mayor Kim Janey on what will probably be Marjorie's last day, actually. So, <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> I meant to say last day on the campaign know, trail, but know. but I go. You know, Do you have a, oh, go ahead, Marjorie. I was just wondering, Mayor Janey. You know, when you're you're a city councilor in Boston, I mean, lots of people obviously in your in your in your district, or if if you're a district a citywide councilor, know you. But you're, there's relative obscurity there in terms of like the wider world. When you become the 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 the, the mayor. Your pictures in the news every night. You're all over the place. Can you go out and get a cup of coffee now in, in relative obscurity, or does everybody know you now in, in, in all around the city? Well, you know, you know, I am grateful to be able to connect with people all over the city. I love this city. I love the people. I think that is what makes Boston so special. Uh, it's the people. You know, the people in every single neighborhood. Each neighborhood has its own uh, character, uh, its own flavor. 
so many, uh, you know, wonderful things about connecting with folks. You know, it's my favorite part of any campaign. It's my favorite part of doing the work, uh, is hearing the hopes and dreams of residents uh, in every single neighborhood. And, uh, you know, for the most part, people, you know, want what we all want, and that's to be able to, uh, you know, live and afford where you live, uh, to have great parks and uh, be able to support yourself either through your own business or a good paying job for your kids to be in good schools. Uh, people want community. People, uh, you know, want to feel safe. They want to be able to be in community with each other. Uh, and it's always great to connect with folks. Speaking of connecting. So I don't mind. Speaking, I don't mind. You can't, you can't just go out in your gym clothes though, anymore. You know what I mean? you gotta, you got to kind of make sure. Is you, there, Mayor Janey, is there a moment or two or, that will stay with you forever from this campaign and you know, from this I, first I think, few months? Uh, it, it's uh, been really great to connect uh, with children, uh, to see the looks on uh, little girls and little boys faces uh, when they recognize me and to see themselves reflected. Uh, you know, this is the first time in our city's history uh, that there's a woman mayor and a person of color. And to see, you know, little girls all across our city, see what is possible uh, for themselves uh, has been so heartwarming. Uh, you know, I spent the last uh, three days in our schools welcoming children back. Uh, and it has been it's wonderful. It's been wonderful uh, to, um, you know, to, to spend that kind of time with them. And I, I just really, I'm so grateful. My heart is so full. Kim Janey, we're giving everybody a chance to give their 30-second uh, uh, final pitch to uh, voters. So give us yours. Well, you know, we've done amazing work together over the last five months. It's very clear that we uh, cannot go back to the way things were. COVID has exposed and exacerbated many of the challenges that were here all along. It's important that we take this opportunity uh, to make sure we are creating a stronger Boston together, uh, that we are creating a city that is more equitable, more just, and more resilient for every single resident in every single neighborhood of the city of Boston. And as mayor of Boston, I am uh, asking your listeners to please vote for Kim Janey for a full term so that we can continue this good work together. Mayor Janey, thanks so much for giving us time today and good luck. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. All thank, right. Thank you. That was the voice of Acting Mayor Kim Janey, who, of course, is uh, running to keep her job as the mayor of Boston. We thank her very much for joining us. We'll go back to your calls now on your analysis of the mayoral race, 877-301-8970. You can email us at bprwgbh.org or tweet us at Boston Public Radio. You are listening to Boston Public Radio. I got a compliment, uh, Acting Mayor Janey. Your first <laughs> question. This is so Marjorie-esque. We all know what you intended to ask. Marjorie says, so how'd you spend your last day? <laughs> well, and then Janie says, well, I don't, I hope it isn't my last day. Yikes. Yeah, that was you quick. are really something. She had, a, she had a quick comeback. She did have a quick, and obviously Marjorie meant for those who are Janie supporters who are offended your last day before On the campaign the election. trail. Right, exactly. Then the preliminary election. I should have made that. 877 We should repeat uh, logistically. The polls are open at 8 o'clock in Boston. If you got a mail-in ballot, don't mail it. This is one of these places where they got to receive it. 
by closing time. There are drop boxes throughout the city. I don't know what the locations are, but if you go to the Secretary of State, Secretary of the Commonwealth, Bill Galvin's office, just search and you'll find it. He uh, lists uh, on his site where all the drop box locations are. Just get them there in time. 877-301-8970. As Marjorie said, in between candidates, and I guess with Janie, we've now spoken all five candidates for uh, mayor. We really appreciate them all taking the time to call in today. We're interested in Boston voters or would-be voters or maybe Boston non-voters. We'd like to talk to and figure out why you're a non-voter if you are, like two-thirds of the people who are eligible here. But also, if you're not from Boston, but like Marjorie and me, live in a surrounding community, care deeply about the place, work here, spend a lot of fun time here, what kind of direction you're looking for in the future, and who would your choice be if you were able to uh, vote? And by the way, I, I think the only thing on which there's unanimity today from callers and emailers is that the polling places, the police officers are not wearing masks. Is that... <laughs> Is that the only thing that everybody agrees upon? Everyone agrees. Regardless of everybody in the for? whole joint has on their mask. Now we have only heard about three polling places, well, so I it's mean, not really three fair. Out of three, so but three out of three, the cops say no mask for me. You know there is a mask mandate inside there is, in the city yes. of Boston, so the enforcers of the law are not following the mandate edict I, I understood about that. Thank the you. about the mask. Now listen to this. This is somebody who's voting strategically. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said she intended to vote for Michelle Wu because Ooh. I like some of her progressive ideas. I think she's the most independent thinker of the candidates. Mm-hmm. But she's going to go vote for Andrea Campbell instead. Ooh. She knows this is risky, but she's relying on polls that Michelle is safe and it's a battle for second. And she wants Andrea to come in second. So there you Ooh. go. Strategic, strategic move. That was from voting. Andrea. Eight seven seven three zero one. Eighty-nine seventy. It's our special election day show. And Tom on Plum Island, you're part of it. Hi, Tom. Hi, nice Hi. to talk to you. Excellent. Thanks. Nice to talk to you, too. What's up? Well, I was listening to the show, and I heard Marjorie ask the question, where do all the scam rocks come from on the shutters in West Roxbury? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Do you have an answer? It, it, well, I think they came from um, James Michael Curley's house on the Jamaica Way in Boston, opposite the Jamaica Pond, which had shamrocks on all the shutters. That went up in the, what, the 40s? Well, y- I yeah. I in Roslindale driving down the Jamaica Way and see it, noticing it all the time. It was very distinct. So. You know, you're absolutely right, Tom. There are shamrocks on the shutters of the, of the Curly House, but I think it's all over West Roxbury, too. There's a lot of, uh, it seems to be strewn with shamrocks. So, um, well, um, I think, I, yeah, you're right. But they, they were built after Curly. Or the, they were built and, and they imitated Curly. Oh, the beloved guy, I, I got you. was overwhelmingly Irish. Yep. No. And, he was I got clearly you. an Irish guy. Yeah, no, that could be it. But he was the inspiration for all those other Irish shutters because he, of course, was so yeah. popular. He was elected from jail. He was. Tom, thank you for Absolutely. addressing Marjorie's concerns. I think she, I speak for her. She feels a lot better. And thank you <laughs> for uh, your call. Well, they're beautiful houses. Three zero one. They're beautiful, they're beautiful houses. I didn't say they weren't. They're green. They're yeah. green shutters. But I mean, you of do course. know we have an election today, and there are actually some issues that may matter to people a little bit more than the shamrocks and the shutters. <laughs> In West Roxbury, but obviously everybody <laughs> has what matters them most, and that's what apparently matters to you most. Judy from Randolph, what's up? Judy, hi. Hi there. I don't know if you remember me. I'm the philosopher with all the wonderful deep thoughts. Well, oh, I good. In, Welcome I back then. Live, hi, Judy. Yeah, I don't live in Boston, but I've been in my community 49 years, and my husband and I, for the last 
19 years, have gotten all our health care from Mass General. So we've spent a considerable amount of time in Boston because we're seniors. I am from the neck down, not from the neck up. He's all over senior. So here's my... <laughs> that's, a, here's that's my a pretty great <laughs> description. Oh, oh she's oh, Judy, gone. We didn't hang up on it. Judy, call back. And try to get through. We'd love to hear that uh, the completion of those <laughs> thoughts. 877-301-8970 is our uh, phone number. Where you know, you? Randolph is a very integrated city. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, one of the most integrated cities around here. Let's go to Mary Beth and Situate. Thank you for calling, Mary Beth. Hi, Mary Beth. Hello. How are you? Fine, Excellent. thank you. Well, I believe I have an answer to the Shamrocks. Oh, good. And- First and foremost, the uh, true Irish Riviera is Situate Mass. <laughs> Sorry. And down here, <laughs> and down here, especially in the mined area, a lot of um, politicians had summer houses, and they would play cards. And so a lot of the shutters in our area are from card games and clubs and shamrocks and hearts and everything. So... That's wait a minute. legend down here from well, the 1900s. Okay, wait a minute. The shutters are from card games? I don't get what you mean. So the people didn't like know? The, the, the club, like the, the suits and the card games. Oh, so the oh, oh, from, oh, okay, from the cards. Oh, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, really? Yeah. I didn't know that and one. They were all Boston politicians down here, so. That's excellent. Well, you know, maybe to qualify as a Boston Irish politician, you do have to have shamrock shutters. shutters, I mean, we should check it. I don't. I don't think the Ray Flynn House over in South Boston has shamrocks in the shutters. Why are there more shamrocks in West Roxbury than South Boston, Mary Beth? I think we know just about enough about that now. But Mary Beth, we we really thank you for adding to the intrigue around this. I'm going to do a little investigation this afternoon, Jim. I'm going to drive to South Boston, then I'm going to drive to West Roxbury. We did an election special. Tomorrow Mm -hmm. we will be doing a shamrock special. From 11 to 2. Shamrock Shutter special, to be precise. Green Shamrock Shutter. Yeah, uh, but I will not be here for that. So good luck to you. Margo and Mattapan, maybe we can get back to the election for just a minute. Welcome to the show. Hi, Margo. Hi. Hi. Um, so I am throwing my, my vote for uh, Andrea Campbell. Why is that? Uh, I've, I've lived in Boston since 1980. I've lived in Mattapan since 2011. She represented my district. She came to all the community action council meetings. She was very much involved in our community and she cares. I also am very um, impressed by her personal story and she has a multiracial family and and so do I. There's just a lot that I connect with for her. Um, I was going to at first, believe it or not, vote for uh, acting Mayor Janey but I didn't like uh, her response to the idea of, you know, vaccination proof for um, entrance to public places and so forth. And she thought that it would disenfranchise parts of uh, Dorchester and Mattapan. And I just thought that's, that's the wrong approach. Mm. That's the wrong approach for this pandemic. So anyway, uh, Andrea Campbell on all of the issues, I'm right there with her. And I you know, I've met her personally and her assistants, and I know that they get things done. And there's a reason why she's the head of the city council now, because she really is good at her job. Well, she's not so head I of the city. She's, she's not head of the city council now, but she was a former president what? of the city council. Margo, that's right, a right. very impressive explanation of a vote, and thank you much for the call. You know, 
Generally, it's smaller communities where personal contact, having actually met a candidate, is often a deal sealer. It is amazing in Boston how important that is. I made the comment before, if you guys weren't listening, polls that the Globe did that always stunned me during Menino and Walsh were a large majority, somewhere in the high 50s, low 60s, of the people in the city said that they had personally met met the mayor, in one case Menino, in one case Walsh. That really matters. I'm not saying it's not great everywhere. People always like meeting someone they're going to vote for or might consider voting for. But a lot of people today, when they've explained their vote, have talked about their personal interaction with a candidate who... uh, they are voting for. So door knocking and that sort of stuff and backyard parties and that sort of thing actually have a lot of influence. Well, Jim, as, as you know, you had one illustrious term as a counselor in uh, a city councilor in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you must have knocked on a lot Can of I doors and hoped to persuade uh, l- let me those, explain those to you. hesitant voters you that you were the man. The, when you were in a all the candidates we spoke to today spoke about their campaigning, saying how much they loved it yeah. and loved meeting people. Let me tell you the truth. <laughs> there is nothing quite as torturous is knocking, doing cold knocking, as we call it, is you go to a neighborhood or a building and you knock on every door. They weren't happy to see you? Is that what you're telling me, Jim? They open the door and there are very few people who are really that thrilled to have you interrupt (laughs) their lives. There are some, I want to be clear about this, and I'm sure the five candidates did far better than I, but I found it to be unmitigated torture. And uh, so, and I I would like to think that if uh, most candidates told the truth, at least a few of them uh, don't love the campaigning quite as much as uh, as they said. Having said that, you want to know something? Uh, uh, I did win one term on you the did. city council. And I did retire legendary. undefeated. Oh, it's not legendary, but it was well, sort of legendary, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's still talking. Okay, fine. They're not talking. Nobody's talking about this. They weren't talking about it then either, by the way. Let's be clear. But I have to say, if I made personal contact with people, a la these callers, more often than not, it was not the brilliance of my powers of persuasion. People like to meet a candidate that they're contemplating voting for. And so even in a city, it's not the biggest city, but it's a top 10 or top 11 city in terms of population. Uh, uh, well, the metro areas, I guess, not the city itself. Uh, it really uh, it uh, really matters. Have you ever thought of running for no, office, No, no, no. I have not. I have not. You I've know, never. part of the, uh, I should say, in terms of Marjorie contemplating it, not knowing where to vote on certain <laughs> elections often precludes somebody from being a candidate in that they election. They changed my di- precinct, Tommy Jim. Yeah, they, without that, telling you, right, of course. <laughs> they pulled a fast one on you right before the election. Marjorie's going to come here okay. tomorrow. Let's move the polling place. We are talking about the mayoral election in, in Boston because today is a preliminary election. We're going to get back to that. But coming up, we're going to take a break from it briefly to talk to CNN's John King about the latest political headlines out of Washington, D.C. You listen to 89.7 GBH, Boston Public Radio. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Marjorie Egan. In a bunch of minutes, we'll get back to your calls about today's election here in Boston. But first, joining us in line to go over the latest political headlines is CNN's John King. He is their chief national correspondent, anchor of Inside Politics, and particularly relevant today, a former Dorchester voter. Welcome, John. Uh, yeah, I, w- I thought we could talk about the Boston mayoral race. I'm just uh, John from Dorchester. I have a question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I have a question for you, John, from Dorchester. I mean, you, you, you did grow up here. Uh, Boston 
has never elected a, a non-man or a uh, person of color. This could be the change election. But it is a big deal, I think. You know, a lot was made about Kim Janey being appointed acting male, African-American, and a woman. Uh, and unfortunately, when people talk about racist cities, you know, whether it's on Saturday Night Live or whether it's in a baseball game or something, people, Boston comes rising to the top. So if we don't elect a person of color here, does this look bad uh, for your hometown? Well, let's look at it a positive. I, you know, I'm not there, so I don't want to get into between the candidates or anything like that. It sure looks like a person of color is going to win. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the preliminary election. Then we'll go on into November. Um, you know, Boston has a w- acting mayor right now who's a woman and a black woman. Uh, and I know, you know, uh, Councillor Wu, uh, a woman, uh, you know, a woman of color. So they can and we'll see which other candidates emerge in the primary today. To your point about, you know, look, I was there, uh, the acting mayor. Uh, she's about my age. Uh, I think she's a year, we're a year apart. Uh, you know, we grew up. We were shaped by forced busing growing up. And, you know, that's a sad legacy of my childhood in a city that I think is the greatest city in the world. I believe that to this day, Uh, even though I live in Washington, I will come home someday. Uh, And... uh, uh, and so I hope I hope there's a changing of the guard and a passing. When I was a kid in Dorchester, did I ever think we'd have a black president in my lifetime? No. Well, we yeah. have. Did I ever think that you know whether it's Congresswoman Presley or the new sheriff, uh, who's now going to be the what the assistant the U.S. Attorney? I'm sorry, in the Biden administration, uh, Sheriff Rollins. Do I have that right? Da um, da da Rollins. I mean. D.A. DA Rollins, yeah. who will then you know, become uh, the U.S. attorney. Mm-hmm. So there's, there have been dramatic changes. And, and let's hope that the city, for the right reason, because you support these candidates, um, you know, continues that, that progress. I ran in. I was leaving the building the other day on Labor Day when Marty Walsh, the labor secretary, the former mayor, uh, was coming into the building. And we had a little Dorchester guy back and <laughs> forth, mostly lamented about the Red Sox. Uh, but um, uh, I, I think progress is a great thing. And when I come home now, I see a very different city when it comes to diversity and tolerance than I did when I was a kid. And that is an A++ improvement. And whether it's in politics or whether it's just how we greet each other on the streets uh, in Dorchester and in South Boston and so on and so forth, uh, please, please, uh, you know, progress is a nice path. Stay on it. You know, uh, while there is guaranteed to be dramatic change, whoever are the two finalists here, uh, a lot of people in California are hoping there's no change, that uh, Governor Newsom remains Governor Newsom after all the votes are counted in this recall uh, election there. Assume for argument's sake that Newsom, Newsom is reelected. I think I heard last night on your station, maybe from you, I don't know who I heard from, $65 million he is, uh, his campaign is spending to stay in office. If he is not recalled, if a majority vote no, are there implications of this vote beyond California's borders, or does it just mean that overwhelmingly democratic california stays overwhelmingly democratic california it's a great question jim in the context that i do think you know people like myself and others may overread and i think we need to be careful not to overread but it is a great laboratory of covid politics you just have to be careful and understand the context at the beginning and you just set it out quite succinctly this is an overwhelming two-to-one democratic state Gavin Newsom should be able to fight off this recall. Uh, we can talk about why he's in much better shape now than he was at the beginning of it, uh, because the COVID dynamics have changed, because Larry Elder, a Trumpy person, Trump-like person, uh, has emerged, and he has a competitor now. Instead of this being a, a, refer- a recall, if you want to recall the governor, you want it to be yes or no on Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. You don't want any other names. You, know, you want the other names sort of put those off until you first get to the recall question. Newsom has been able to successfully change the dynamics and actually make this an election for governor, as opposed to a referendum 
referendum on him. Um, so we'll see. But I do think, so we always know that Democrats have a problem turning out voters in off-year elections because their you know, coalition has younger voters, has more diverse voters. Uh, people want to vote in a presidential election. They think maybe the midterm elections don't matter. So are there ways, Gavin Newsom has, well, in the end, how many Democrats vote? Where is the participation? Uh, what helped get Marjorie to vote? What helped to get Jim to vote? Maybe it was something different, you know, that motivated this voter versus that voter. And if you look at, let's just say, one of the things they're looking closely at is the Latino population. If the turnout is not where they wanted it to be, then what was their messaging and what can they learn from that and try to do better next time? Because if you're Terry McAuliffe and you're running in Virginia this November to be governor again, or if you're a Democrat on the ballot in a tough race in 2022, you want to know the mechanics of the campaign. Uh, because all voters are frustrated. All voters are tired. You know, COVID politics are on the ballot tonight. So I wouldn't overread it, but I do think there are a number of tactical and strategic and turnout participation things that we're going to learn a lot about. You know, speaking of COVID politics, John King, we're talking to John King from CNN. Uh, Biden's poll numbers have taken a can hit. Can we stay in Cal- I'm sorry, can I interrupt? Oh, no, I have ahead. one more California thing. Go ahead. This is also from watching your station last night. I, I almost had a stroke. The first thing I see when I turn on CNN is John King, uh, John King, Donald Trump at a fire station in New York City on 9-11, <coughs> excuse me, talking about how the election was rigged, uh, how the election was stolen. This is on 9-11. Of course, that's before he decides to do color commentary with his son, Little Trump, on this uh, boxing match, which is also unbelievable. And then I hear a discussion about how Larry Elder, the lead of the 46 candidates, uh, who hope to replace Gavin Newsom, or at least supporters of his, are already claiming out of the Trump playbook that if he loses, the election is rigged. Are we going to have to live for in the Trump era forevermore with Republicans saying in advance of a vote, John King, that if I don't win, the election was stolen or rigged? Is this our permanent condition until Trump is gone? Uh, it is our condition of the moment. I sure hope it's not permanent. And my request there would be to Republicans, because the fraud is being committed on you. If you're a Republican voter or a Republican-leaning independent, or even a Democrat who sometimes votes Republican, the fraud is being committed on you. Uh, because if you keep losing elections, as California Republicans have for some time, uh, if you lose an election like Donald Trump, you know, so what do you do? Either you need to figure out what you did wrong. And if you think your policies are, if you still think your policies are exactly right, well, then you need to communicate them differently, because you lost. Uh, the Republican Party, we've talked about this before, has a huge problem talking to voters of diversity right now on immigration and other issues because of their messaging. The Republican Party has a giant issue with younger voters on issues like the climate, on issues like tolerance, same-sex marriage. So you can either decide we need to either change our policies or change how we communicate our policies, or you can say it was rigged. I didn't lose. I won. I won on a landslide. Uh, well, that's just not true. And so the, you know, if your team is losing, you need to fix it. Uh, and so we'll conti- they will continue to lose if this is where they stay. I hope it's not permanent, Jim, but the fact that Larry Elder is now going to do it in California means here's the burden. Leaders in California, the Republican leaders, and the, the devastation of the Republican Party in California predates Trump. Uh, the California Republican Party has been in trouble for a long time. But let's hope a next generation stands up and says, you know, you may get mad at me, but we lost. We counted the votes. If they see anything they need to check, then double check it. There are, there are ways to check things that look fishy. But if it's not there and there's no evidence it's there on any wide scale, the burden here is on other Republicans to stand up and say, stop it. I, I fear we won't see that because Trump again last night said, just like Larry Elder, he thinks California is rigged. Someone needs to stand up to the bullies and tell them, uh, 
we want to win in the real world. We want to win on facts. We want to win on policy. Because if you win on facts and policy, then you get to govern. You know, uh, Marjorie, can I ask one more California oh, thing course. before we move on? John, my apologies, but in the middle of an explanation uh, from you last night, my wa- microwave went off and I had to go eat. So maybe you can finish your thought. You're explaining why Orange County, which I always thought was exactly how you described it historically, sort of the bedrock Republican dependable county in the Reaganer, etc., all of a sudden, I guess, turned blue in the Biden-Trump election or in some – whatever conversion there was from red to blue, even though I guess it's modestly blue, what happened in Orange County? It's been shifting for some time. Again, a lot of the California Republican problems predate Trump, but a lot of them are the same problems we saw during Trump. Uh, there's, it's suburban, number one. Uh, number two, it's growing, and when it grows, it gets more diverse, meaning mm-hmm. especially in California, more brown, more Latino. Uh, and the Republican Party has a problem with those voters. You know, Pete Wilson started that, if you will, for, with his immigration uh, views back when he was governor. Uh, so he drove away a lot of the Latino voters from the Republican Party, especially the newer ones. Um, and so, um, and so you have, you know, you and and. You you have suburban voters, uh, principally, but not exclusively, suburban women moving away from the Republican Party over the course of the last 10 years uh, on different policy issues. And then that gets, you know, that, again, that existed before Trump in California, and then he put it on steroids. So Orange County, which used to be in Ronald Reagan's day, that was sort of the home foundation bedrock of the Republican Party mm-hmm. in the state. No longer. It was 50-50 in the last governor's race back in 2018. So if there is a surprise tonight, that's one of the places you look. It, it, are there Republicans going, quote unquote, home, if you will? Or are Republicans so mad at Gavin Newsom, you know, even Republicans who voted for him in 2018 uh, turn out to vote yes on the recall. So we'll have to watch that. Uh, but there are still some battlegrounds within California, even though the state Republican Party has become incredibly dysfunctional. You know, uh, John King from CNN, we know that uh, President Biden's poll numbers have been hit of late. Part of that, uh, analysts uh, say, is because of the resurgence of the COVID variant and people being sick again. I'm wondering what's happening in some of these states. I was just reading this morning where in Alabama, all the ICU ICU beds are occupied now uh, and they are filled up with uh, COVID patients, nearly all of whom are unvaccinated. Texas, uh, 95% full there in 169 hospitals. They've got these overflow tents in Houston because they've been so overwhelmed by, by COVID. Children, other 18, there's more hospitalizations of young children than we've ever had before. Is there a, a blowback against some of these governors uh, like Abbott in Texas, who have been so adamant about no masks, no mandates, or against DeSantis in Florida, where judges have come in and said, yes, the kids can be masked to keep them safe, but he's still fighting these things. Are they paying a price for this or not? We see no evidence of it yet. I do think that in part is what the next election cycle will be about. I do think that is in part one potential lesson we learn out of California tonight. You know, is Newsom is the vote for Newsom overwhelming? Uh, in which case, you know, Democrats will say again they may overread it, but that the that, you know this recall was born you know at least on paper. A lot of the people who signed the petitions to recall Gavin Newsom didn't vote for him to begin with. They didn't like him to begin with, and so they have this law in California. They decided to use it. But the principal argument at the beginning was we don't like all these COVID restrictions, uh, and so. 
if Gavin Newsom is not recalled and the margins are overwhelming, uh, Democrats might take that as, see, we can talk about masks, we can talk about vaccine mandates. Uh, the voters understand they get the public health crisis. Now, California is not Texas. California is not Florida. California is not even Michigan or Wisconsin. I mean, Democratic states, you know, there are Democratic states that are not as liberal uh, as California, but there will be some lessons here. As for those governors, uh, look, it is, it is sad to me that we have to every week, but we do because of the disparity in the policies here. Talk about COVID in a political context. These are our children. Um, you know, as a parent of a 10-year-old who's, who can't wait for someone to tell me the vaccine is safe for him, uh, I find it nutty um, that there are governors who are now going to fine people because a local official wants to have masks in school. So now their governor wants to penalize them for that. I used to think Republicans were about deferring power to the most local official, but that doesn't happen anymore when you might run for president and you think you need to make a national message, I guess. Um, will they be held accountable? I think 2022 and 2024, uh, there's no question mandates, the role of government, the reach of government, and where is the line in a, an emergency like a pandemic? I think those are going to be the big issues in 2022 and 2024, whether we're talking about the public health aspect, aspect of that or the economic part of that, which is when you do have these restrictions and when you have a pub, public health crisis, as we've all know, and m many people listening have lived, there's an economic domino effect as well. We're talking to John King from CNN. So I, I know you're not Nostradamus, but you're pretty close in our book. Uh, what happens with Joe Manchin? I watch Manchin on the Sunday shows, including Dana Bash inter interviewing him on CNN. Uh, I have to say, I, I understand he comes from a state that Trump won big time. I listen to him as carefully as I can. I read his Washington Post editorials. I really don't understand what the hell he's talking about when he says there's no urgency. There's no urgency about what? What is his figure? As Dana tried to ask, get him to announce repeatedly if it's not 3.5 does it is it because everything needs to be paid for or he won't for, vote for it where is he and where is he likely to end up on this uh, democrats only package assuming there is a package i have more questions than answers on that but i will say this um I talked to Ed Markey the other day, you know, your senator there in Massachusetts, very progressive. He is, you know, if Joe Manchin is A, Ed Markey is almost Z when it comes on the yeah. you know, centrist to progressive uh, chart. He says, you know, yes, we have some differences. Yes, it's difficult at times, but I'll, it's okay. We're going to get there. Um, the president of the United States thinks he's going to get there. Um, uh, you know, so what does that mean? I don't think there's any question. Um, that although Bernie Sanders is still putting the number out publicly, and everyone's this is all leverage now, and it's all negotiations. A lot of what you see is you know a little bit of shady, if you will. But that's how negotiations work. I'm not saying that to be cynical or snarky. That's how it works. Um, is it like, do I believe, um, you know, what little bit of Nostradamus I have in me, um, that 3.5 trillion is going to have to shrink some to get Joe Manchin's vote? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. How much? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I do think that we'll have a much better perspective on this a week from now or 10 days from now than we do right now. I think the overriding political dynamic, is, Jim, is does Joe Manchin want to open the trap door on the Biden presidency? Mm -hmm. Does Joe Manchin want to guarantee that Democrats will be mad and depressed next year and maybe not turn out in a midterm election? Does Joe Manchin want to go back? Does he almost want to almost guarantee a tough word, but does he want to make it more likely that he will be in the minority next year or in 20, you know, after the 2022 midterm. So in 2023, does he want to, you know, because if the Democrats fail and the Biden presidency fails to pass the agenda he ran on and they ran on, well, then you can expect not only Republican energy in 2022, but Democratic disenchantment. And that usually means lower turnout. And if that happens, then Mitch McConnell's majority leader again, and Joe Manchin is not chairman. 
He's ranking member. Mm-hmm. So there are power dynamics, responsibility dynamics in the Democratic Party. And it's messy because of generational issues as well as the ideological issues and the policy issues. So this is going to be bloody and messy for a week to 10 days. And the question is, you know, all of a sudden out of that, does a deal come? And does that deal somewhere, you know, two, eight, three trillion, somewhere in that ballpark? Uh, that's what the expectation is, but we got a ways to go. But you know what's really uh, pathetic about this? I read this story this morning from the uh, Boston Globe talking about the amount of money we just spent in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. It was $14 trillion, $14 trillion, a third of which went to military contractors, just to a few companies, Lockheed, Boeing, General Dynamics, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman. That's $14 trillion. And, and, and Joe Manchin is acting as if it is outrageous to spend more than, uh, you know, a trillion dollars or a trillion and a half dollars on doing something about the fact that the country is either burning down or getting flooded or people are drowning in, in, in their cars or childcare or healthcare for the elderly. It just, it just kind of says something really demented about, about where we are. This is, this is too much, but we can, you know, make everybody rich over at Raytheon and North, North Grumman. You know what I mean? Uh, I get it. And look, I think the more people in power, and everyone's entitled to their opinion, uh, but the more people in power have debates about, you know, here's $10. How would we split it up? We, when you start talking about $3.5 trillion, you can get numbed by the numbers. It's really hard to track everything. But I, look, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, is up on Capitol Hill now for the second day in a row. Uh, and he's taken, you know, he's a pinata, if you will, about what was not the orderly withdrawal from Afghanistan that President Biden promised. So there are some legitimate questions about the chaotic withdrawal and about whether the Biden administration and what the Biden administration could have done and should have done better, without a doubt. Uh, but his point is that, you know, it was time to end this war and staying another year or five or ten was not going to make any better was not going to, you know, uh, there was not going to be a thriving Afghan democracy. It was not going to end the corruption in the Afghan government. So maybe to your point about the priorities, maybe you know, once we get through the the dissection, the recon, you know, the hearings and oversight of what just happened, uh, that does mean there's more money available, doesn't it? Uh, where does it go? Now, then you'll have a big debate over the defense budget, and progressives will be saying, no, take it out. But uh, I, I love when Washington actually debates policy and priorities as opposed to um, screaming at each other. So, right now, right now on this current bill, that is an all-democratic conversation because the Republicans aren't playing. And because next year is an election year, I would not be hopeful for anything beyond that in the near term. What and the politics, the new- I just wonder what, and the politics of that are... Of what? Of Republicans not supporting anything, having to do with climate change or child care or anything. Is the politics of that that they hope that their voters don't know about this bill or don't, I mean, everybody cares about how much it costs for health care, how much it costs for child care. I mean, what's the hope? It's complicated. Some of it is the Republican or everybody's message. There are Democrats who say we're strong on defense, too. But some of it's the, you know, we're tough on defense. America has to be in the world. Some of it is that those companies you just mentioned, Lockheed, Boeing, et cetera, are huge employers back home in their districts. And the more planes and jets and ships you're making, the more jobs there are uh, in those places. So the military industrial complex is not just about military power. Uh, it's about it is about legitimately about jobs back home. So if you're going to I completely get Joe Manchin saying if we're going to, you know, if we're going to make coal a part of the past, what about my people? That's that's a very fair concern. I would completely get any senator from, you know, with a shipyard in Mississippi or a Boeing plant in Washington or South Carolina raising his or her hand and saying, wait a minute, if we're going to cut the defense budget, what about these people? That's fine. That, that, that's responsible. Uh, that, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have those conversations just because if we cut money here, somebody might lose a job. The challenge is, how do you help that person? What do you think of the new quarterback? 
Um, I, I was, he's, a, he's an NFL quarterback. He is an NFL quarterback. They have some issues to work out. Penalties, fumbles. He's an NFL quarterback. We'll be all right. But it might take a while. We'll be all right. We will be all right. John King, as long as you stick around. John, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. John King, jo- John King joins us every week. He's CNN's chief national correspondent and anchor of Inside Politics. Thank you very much, John King, as always. Coming up for the last 20 minutes of the show, we are continuing our conversation with you about the Boston mayoral primary. The number is 877-301-8970. You can email us at bpr at wgbh.org. Whether you are a Boston voter or not, we're interested in what you think of the candidates. If you are a Boston voter, we're interested in whom you're voting for and what you think overall, uh, the person who's presented the best reason to vote for them to move Boston ahead. You're listening to Boston Public Radio 89.7 GBH. Boston Public Radio. I am Jim Browdy. She is Marjorie Egan. It's election day, not just in Boston, but a lot of surrounding communities. We focused on Boston today. All five of the major candidates have been kind enough to call in. We try to do that every election day, giving us their final brief pitch. And we'd like to hear from you in the remainder of the show. If you're a Boston resident, who are you voting for and why? If you're a Boston resident and not voting, we'd like to hear from you as well. And if you're not a Boston voter, like Marjorie and I, neither of us are, uh, but you love the city, spend a lot of time in the city, working there as we do, or whatever you do in the city, talk to us about what direction you want the next mayor to take and who you think that person, uh, who is the best person to take it in that direction is. 877 if you bring up know, the shamrocks, I'm not bringing up the, the shamrocks. Okay, I'm not bringing up the shamrocks. I'm bringing okay. up something else. No more else. shamrocks today. Uh, we have elections, as we know, in other cities and towns besides we Boston today. Yeah. What do you so got? we get the word from West West Newton now, because as we know, we've had three people report on the lack of mask wearing by the police officers in at the polls in Boston, even yeah. though there is a mask mandate indoors sure. at the polls in Boston. So yeah. they would not be setting a particularly good example. Good point. Suzanne reports that there was no mask on the policemen at the West Newton polls. So I tell you, it's wilding. The police officers and really all these different polls. West <laughs> Newton, huh? West Newton. That is absolutely right. Now, we want to point out that uh, the election is today. Uh, Michelle Wu has been leading significantly in the polls. There is a, uh, I would say, it's a virtual tie for second place, at least according yeah. to the polling, uh, between, or among, I should say, Andrea Campbell, Anissa uh, Asabi George, and uh, Kim Janney, who's the acting mayor of Boston. Mm-hmm. They're very close, second place, uh, bunched together. Uh, Andrea Campbell supposedly is getting a little bit more momentum. More, more momentum. Uh, Kim Janey, not so much, but there's undecided voters and you don't know how they're going to break today or even if they're going to show up to vote today. Excellent point there, Marjorie. Thank 877 If we have any more reports on unmasked police officers, we're very interested yeah, in Yeah, actually, well. forget the shamrocks. Let's deal with the unmasked <laughs> police officers. If you have a story of an unmasked police officer at your polling place, assuming it's even it's at least close to true, We'd like to hear from you at 877-301-897. You know, we keep saying the words, but when you're in the middle of something, you tend not to step back and really see it from whatever that expression is that I can't stand 10,000 feet or whatever. This is a really big day. I mean, it was a big day when Kim Janey ascended to be acting mayor. Mm -hmm. But today, people are going to vote for one of the – well, two of these people to make the final – 
And it's going to change Boston in a significant way. I mean, and you know, you don't know what the real world implications of having a mayor of color are going to be likely a woman mayor could be John Barris, but it's likely a woman uh, mayor. But symbolically, at least uh, a city that has had to deal with charges of racism for decades and decades and decades uh, I'm not suggesting racism disappears when one of these people or two of these people make a final any more than it disappeared when Barack Obama was elected as the first black president. But it sure as hell changes the perception of the people, the voters in this city, I think. So today is a it's a huge day. Let's go to West Roxbury. Don't ask her, Marjorie. I won't ask her. Uh, and Kate is on the phone. Hi, Unless Kate. she has something to volunteer. Hi, Kate. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Good afternoon on this gorgeous day. First time calling in, long time listener. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, I have not decided yet who I want to vote on, and that's because I have not heard a single candidate talk about anti-Semitism. And that's on a rise, especially in the United States. Also in Boston, we had that recent crime, what, about, you know, two months ago. And I have not heard a single candidate. And everybody comes from some kind of, you know, um, some group that is being discriminated against, but yet nobody's talking about anti-Semitism. And you know, I get my vote until they start to. I, I think, in fairness, Kate, I don't know what she had to say, but I certainly know I saw pictures of Kim Janey after the rabbi after was the rabbi attacked. was yeah. a- attacked, and I, I I can't tell you what she said. I can't imagine she would have been there as the active mayor and have said nothing. So I don't I don't know. Well, I'm quite th- sure she did too, and I actually can't say that the others did not. So, Kate, if I may, it's one forty six. What do you do in the next six hours and fourteen minutes to decide? If somebody is worthy of your vote, what? Do, how do you do this? I'm going to be looking online, probably mostly at Twitter, to see what I'm seeing, what they're saying, what their, you know, their social media people are putting out about it, and see if anything resonates with me. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Kate, I, I tend to uh, share Marjorie's um, memory uh, vis-a-vis the rabbi who was attacked, and luckily as well. And I think he wrote a piece in the Globe after he, he recovered did. a he bit. He did. Yeah, it was yes, pretty he did. impressive. Kate, thank you for your call, your first call. We appreciate it. 877-301-8970. Pam is emailing from, emailing from Rosendale, and she's talking about Michelle Wu, the strongest uh, in her opinion, because she's the strongest on climate change. And she's got her vote, um, and she's very concerned about mitigating the impacts on Boston and climate change. It's interesting because remember back when Joe Kennedy ran with uh, uh, in the Ed Markey race, and I think the early polling had Joe Kennedy, the congressman um, who's from – I forget what district we're in, but it goes from Brock, from Fall River fourth, to – Fourth? Is I, I forget. I'm not I should sure, know yeah. it's where I live. But it's Brookline down to Fall River. That's the district he represented. And um, – uh, the Climate Change, the Sunrise Group, that's very powerful mm-hmm. young uh, organization that's a big climate change mm-hmm. advocacy group. They were right with Marky right from the start because Marky had been, has been big on climate change. Obviously, he and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who had that wild dress, taxed the rich on last night at the Met Gala. Did she really? Yes. Oh, it's a white dress. You got to look it up online. She's a beautiful woman, and she looked beautiful in this dress. All white with this big tax rich and huge and huge red letters on the back. But in any case, um, you wonder how much that's going to impact. Now, notoriously, young people are not great and reliable voters, but you wonder how much that's going to play in what, Boston. Climate issues. Well, she's big. She's been big for a long time on climate stuff. Woo. Woo. Well, yes. she she uh, offered the other night, and no one countered in one of the two debates that every single environmental group which has endorsed has endorsed her, and since nobody broke in to suggest otherwise, I assume that is true. She has put climate change 
front and center and in her campaign from early on. helped yeah. Markey. And I think, as I said at the beginning, I think some people thought that Joe Kennedy was going to give him a run for his money. And as it turned out, uh, Markey won handily. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, the one modest difference, and this is in no way to diminish Wu's commitment to the issue, uh, Markey has been there for Ever. Right. Forever. He is not like a and I, I and again, this may have been something she's talked about a lot throughout her career, but it's been decades and decades where long before you could get well, virtually anybody to vote with you. Not everybody he was there. has decades and decades as we know. I mean well, Marky has, yeah. has been around. Yeah. How long has he been? Since nineteen seventy six? Forty or something. In Congress, I think, I think. yeah. Yeah, yeah Michelle uh, Wu was a little bit uh, newer to the game. In any case, I don't again, think she was running in seventy six because she probably wasn't born in seventy six. Exactly. She was not running. <laughs> so I think that it's unlikely. That was my point, Jim. Oh, was your point? She does not have decades point. to accumulate uh, fans in the climate change uh, f- uh, battle because she has not been around long enough to collect those fans. Anyway, 877-301-8970 is the number. We're talking about the preliminary race uh, today for mayor of Boston. The top two candidates will proceed to the final, which is in, of course, November. Uh, Michelle Wu is leading in most of the polls. There seems to be a a, a bunch of people in second, uh, vying for second place. There would be Acting Mayor Kim Janey, uh, uh, City Councilor Andrea Campbell, and City Councilor Anissa Asabi-George. And I think it's generally agreed upon that um, uh, Anissa Asabi-George is the most moderate of the candidates, um, not big on police reform. The other candidates are, are more progressive on police reform, and we'll see if that matters in the race and who prevails. By the way, can I, before you go ahead, I think thanks to Chelsea, but thanks to one of our colleagues. Uh, there's an article for the prior caller who says none of the candidates have spoken out on anti-Semitism. There's a pretty comprehensive story in the September 8th edition of the Jewish Journal in which it says every one of the major candidates has spoken out forcefully, on issue, according to the Jewish Journal, on issues of anti-Semitism. So I would uh, urge the prior caller to Google Jewish Journal and uh, anti-Semitism and Boston Mayor, and you can read the comments of uh, the candidates. 877-301-8970. Let's go to Mary Alice in the car on Cape Cod. Mary Alice, thank you very much for calling. Hey, Mary Alice. Oops. Hi, Mary Alice. Our fault. Welcome. Whoops, she disappeared. She dis- <laughs> Not our doing, but uh, she did uh, disappear. I think it's something I said, probably. We're getting emails now on... Uh, Cops? No. <laughs> Uh, Not on cops, on the AOC's dress okay, at the uh, Met Gala. Okay, can I tell you something, by the way, in the spirit of fairness, which Marjorie obviously never embraces, uh-huh. and I do, if you have voted in Boston and have actually seen a cop with a mask on, we'd like you to call or email. Oh, that wasn't uh, about masks. That was about AOC's dress. I understand that. Remember what Adam uh, Riley tweeted this morning at yeah. 10 and 12? We just Enough of the that. Met Gala? Shut up about the Met uh, Gala. Oh, come on. You know, let's have some fun. I mean, are you the one that says, in front of the red carpet every year when they before COVID and watched all the people coming in at the Academy Awards, didn't I, I can't, you? I, I mean, you watched. I can't it. remember if I did that. <laughs> By the way, I love. I can tell you, I love the red carpet. I I love the red carpet before these events when the inter, they yeah. get to interview all the stars. You get to see them walk down. They get to talk about who the designer yep. was. And it's very the exciting. Met Gala is spectacular. I mean, or did you call it the Gala or the Gala? I'm not sure what you're supposed to call it. But in any case, it's spectacular for these wild and crazy outfits. By the way, Mary Alice, who got disconnected through uh, no action of ours, she wanted to say that she that she, <laughs> this is, she voted in Dorchester, <laughs> and the police were not. 
wearing uh, masks there either. Is this like a well, directive or something? You know, What's the deal? It is going to be very interesting to see because Charlie Baker, the governor, has said we have to have masks on that. We have to have vaccinations now. Um, for, what do you mean you have to have vaccinations? Well, for public safety workers, right? You have to have vaccinations. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see if we're going to get a big fight about this. Do you say all cops have to be vaccinated? I'm not 100% sure. I'm, you're maybe right. I, 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 well, I believe so. I, I could stand corrected, but I believe so. It's, so it's going to be interesting. But it is kind of almost hostile for the police officers not to be wearing masks, particularly who are the majority of people that vote? Old people, Yeah, right? Who are the most vulnerable to COVID? We'd better vote fast if the cops are not wearing a mask. Let's go to Elizabeth and Newton. You're next on Boston Public Radio. Hi there. Hi, I'm not a Boston voter, but I'm just calling because I know about Michelle Wu. My daughter is um, very much an environmental activist. Um, she was involved in Newton and, you know, planting trees to commemorate COVID. They raised money for like something like 160 trees. But she was uh, very uh, behind Markey. And she knows Michelle Wu from just going to all these various uh, protests. So Michelle is definitely very much in with the environmental crowd. Well. Yeah, well, she she is. I mean, she's been very big on this for quite some time, but thank you for the call. Paul just emailed to ask a very good question, Jim. Mm. He wants to know, has anyone ever seen a cop anywhere with a mask on? Well, I actually have, uh, even though I have to say uh, I have seen lots of settings like these people at the polling places where there are groups of cops uh, who are not wearing masks, which is troubling. I mean, they no, are but- sort of role models for People, well, there's a not? mask mandate in Boston when you're inside. That that's kind of the thing that's unfortunate, is is that you are supposed to wear masks inside, and it's not really setting a very good example. I will repeat that I was on jury duty yesterday in Dedham at the Norfolk uh, Superior Courthouse, and all the court officers, uh, not only were they all wearing masks, the judge was wearing a mask, the court clerk was wearing a mask, the lawyers were all wearing masks, and when people would take off their masks for extended periods of time, not just when they were taking a quick sip of water or something. They were over there. Hey, hey. That's great. It was, and it Lady was great. Justice is wearing a blindfold, I believe. <laughs> By the way, I think I'm going to correct you, and I hope I'm not wrong, particularly with only two minutes left in the show. I don't think there's a mandate for uh, for cops in general. There is a mandate from Governor Baker that all state employees, state workers, be vaccinated. And obviously the state cops, state cops. are part of that. So I'm not sure about local police. No, you're right. I don't think he's told individual towns. Okay, okay. Um, it's it's okay. the state workers. I should, have been, I should have been more clear about that. 877-301-8970 is our phone number. We're trying to uh, screen a couple of calls here. We'll try to squeeze one more in. But let us remind you, if you don't know if you're a Boston voter, until 8 o'clock, is uh, the time you can vote. If you're in line at 8 o'clock, you, they will let you vote even if you're not done voting or haven't voted till after 8. If you have a mail-in ballot and forgot to mail it in, it is too late to mail it in. It is not too late to drop it off at one of those drop boxes around the city. And if you don't know where they are, I don't either. Go to the Secretary of the Commonwealth's website, and on that website it has all the uh, locations. Andrew, you have 30 seconds. Our apologies. It's all yours. Take it away. You're in East Boston. Go. Excellent. East Boston. I uh, I was just in my polling place and uh, the police officer had a mask. He was running the table and he was actually, uh, he was doing great. He was actually checking people out and he was listening to the addresses as he came in. He had the page geared up and he actually had a mask. I was walking over there 
geared up to tell the guy off in case he didn't. Beautiful. And, uh, and I didn't even have to. That's very sad. You didn't have go. the opportunity. Andrew, thanks for the update. And Andrew, you're oh, happy to hear Edgar, Edgar B. Hurd, Hurd III. the third. Yes. Tell us quickly. Well, he reported that at Ward 8, Precinct 4 in Dorchester, mm-hmm. the police officers are wearing masks. So that is terrific. That's terrific. It makes people feel much more secure. Well, except I heard that they only put them on when they saw Edgar coming. <laughs> and as soon as he left, they take him off. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it's what I've heard. I'm sticking to it. Okay, well, kudos, as far as we know, to the East Boston police officers and the Dorchester cops. Kudos, whatever it is, at Ward uh, 8, Precinct 4. So we are done for today. We wish good luck to all the candidates in the mayoral uh, race. And if you haven't gotten to the polling places yet, um, I hope you can make it. Thank you for listening to another edition of Boston Public Radio. Tomorrow we're going to be joined by our medical ethicist, Art Kaplan. I get worked up into a frenzy now every week when he calls us. I can't wait to talk to him at this point. People are dying from heart attacks because they can't get into the hospital and some of these places because all these unvaccinated people are checking out these hospital beds. Anyway, national security expert Juliet Kayan will join us as well. And the Boston Globe's Binka Venkatraman. She is the editorial writer, the chief of the editorial page there at the Globe about um, what they've been working on over there. We want to thank our crew, Chelsea Mers. Including the outcome of the mayoral Oh, that's right. We mentioned that, I suppose, Jim. Yeah. Okay. Zoe Matthews, Aidan Conley, Mackenzie Farkas, Rebecca Tauber, and our engineer, John the Claw Parker. What's on TV, Jim? Well, we're going to talk more about what the significance of this Boston race is, regardless of outcome tonight. And you won't remember the name. Rhett Price is a former homeless musician who is now this wild YouTube sensation. He's a violinist. You've heard him play on my show before. He is unbelievable. He's going to play tonight. He's now partnering with Ben and Jerry's to raise money to help other homeless people. It's a great story. He's a great player. That's tonight at 7 on Greater Boston. I'm Jim Browdy. I'm Marjorie Egan. Thanks so much for listening. See you tomorrow. Bye.